Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The 2-2 pitch, swung on and missed. Another breaking ball slowly to the plate. Couldn't hold up for a strikeout for old Uncle Charlie. The 0-2 pitch, he struck him out. That's four strikeouts for Adam Wainwright. Yeah, I thought of today as a must-win game. You know, I just, I did. I just felt like we had to have it. 3-2, hit a ton. Into deep left. Did he get enough? At the wall, he did. Into the Dodger bullpen. 24. 3-2 pitch. Gallegos to Taylor. He got him! The Cardinals hold on! And they win it 5-4. Today we needed to win bad. We just we just did. You know, it was a big game for us, and hopefully we get a little momentum going forward. That's what it sounded like last night on Valley Sports Midwest as the Cardinals get what Adam Wainwright called, but somebody else did not call a must-win game for the Cardinals. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I'm running out of words to describe what we're watching right now from Adam Wainwright. In his last 10 starts, Alex, this is going back almost two months now. This is crazy. He has thrown 72 innings, so he's thrown an average of seven innings per start. He has an ERA in those 10 starts of below two. He's at a 1.86. Opposing hitters are batting 190 against him. The Cardinals are 9-1 and one overall as a team in those 10 starts from Adam Wainwright. It is magnificent. It is beautiful. It is stunning. It is excellent. It is everything you could possibly say about a potential hall of famer which we're going to have those conversations i think starting next year if he continues doing this kind of crap this is amazing that's so negative man i I mean it's unbelievable i can't believe that he's still doing crap it's it's amazing and watching it last night it was against the best team or at least the most talented lineup in my opinion maybe in baseball certainly in the national league and he carved them up in a way that It shouldn't surprise me anymore. It really shouldn't. But it does. Every time he goes out there, it surprises me that he's still doing this at such a high level. And what he did last night was more impressive uh, of how he dictated that strike zone. Because, I mean, he found ways to exploit every one of those pitchers to hit some type of ground ball. I mean, from the first through the third inning, it felt like everybody from Edmundo Sosa to Tommy Edmond to Nolan Arenado were getting their work cut out for him. Then as you went a little bit later, you started to see Harrison Bader get into the mix. But I I was just, I was so impressed. Look, 
behind the scenes here, I had tickets to the game last night, and the only reason I wanted to go was because Adam Wainwright was on the mound. And finale. Albert Pujols. Oh, I thought it was to find Ali Sanchez. Never mind. No, well, I, I did, did find him. him, guys. I found Ali Sanchez, so he well, is a part of this team currently. But I wanted to see Adam Wainwright in person. And, and watching it, you're just as amazed in person as you are on television. But it's really because of what he did against that explosive lineup. Like I said, found a way to exploit all of those guys and to in, in, induct ground balls from guys like Trey Turner and Corey Seager. It was huge for him. Now, part of me was a little concerned that they were going to blow that game for Adam Wainwright oh, once yeah. again. Because I'm thinking, this guy's got to go nine innings if you want to win. But more so than anything, man, Cy Young vote consideration, Hall of Fame consideration, whatever you may or may not believe, he is the only reason this Cardinals team is three, three and a half games out of a wild card spot. He's dragging them to the finish line right now. If not for him, this team would not be in a playoff race anymore. Mm -hmm. Full stop. He is the guy that's keeping them in contention. You mentioned the Cy Young race. Well, he's officially in it. I don't think he's going to win it. I am not sure he's going to finish top five. I think he deserves at least consideration, though, to be in the top five right now among 51 National League starters to throw at least 100 innings this year. So 51 qualified starters, 100 or more innings. He's second in innings pitched in the National League. He's 14th in ERA, which is actually kind of surprising. I thought he'd be higher than that with a 2.98 ERA. The first half of the season, though, I I guarantee that was nowhere near 2.98 compared to his second half. It it was, and he's been much better in the second half. It's also just an example of how good some of the pitching has been in the National League this year. Uh, If you're a guy that doesn't love the advanced statistics, go ahead and start embracing them because his best argument is actually wins above replacement. Mm -hmm. He's seventh in the National League in wins above replacement this year. He's top 10 in whip. He's 13th in batting average against the only guys above him right now in wins above replacement among National League starters. Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Zach Wheeler, Walker Bueller, Kevin Gossman, and Brandon Woodruff. So you've got the two starters on the Brewers, two starters on the Dodgers, and then Kevin Gossman as well, along with Zach Wheeler. If you're hoping for Wayno to get into the Cy Young conversation and to actually finish in the top five, I think the way it happens, Alex, is by split votes among the Dodgers starters and the Brewers starters. If that happens, if you've got some people that are kind of going back and forth among those four guys, that's how he gets into the top five. And if he continues pitching like this down the stretch, he's going to help his case even more. Yeah, because I think he's probably got like, what, five, six starts left the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And look, if he doesn't win the Cy Young, which I don't think a lot of us expect him to win the Cy Young. He won't be top two. Yeah, but. I think that is a unbelievable achievement for a 40-year-old to be stealing votes away from everyone's clear-cut favorite in the beginning of the season in Corbin Burns. And frankly, the Milwaukee Brewers had three guys that you would assume is going to win the Cy Young. And then you put Max Scherzer and the Dodgers into the conversation. The fact that Adam Wainwright is even in these conversations is a huge accomplishment in itself. And frankly... It should be celebrated. Now, I sound like Mike Schilt there and, you know, scratch and claw your way to victories, but it really should be celebrated with something that he's doing because that's a that's an unreal accomplishment for somebody who 40 or three years ago was talking about possibly calling it a career. You know what I was thinking about last night? It really stinks that we were robbed of a vintage Wayno year to go along with a potential classic Jack Flaherty season. Because if this team right now had Wayno as your ace, because that's what he's been, with Jack Flaherty as a 1B, kind of like what you're seeing right now from the Dodgers, right? Whoever you want to consider their ace, whether it be Scherzer or Bueller, they've got 
the guy that is has been one of the best pitchers in the sport for the last decade to go along with one of the best young starters in the sport right now in Bueller. That's what the Cardinals could have had if Jack Flaherty didn't get hurt. And so it just, it feels like the baseball gods robbed us of what could have been a, a really special season. If you had those two guys at the front end of your rotation, not only would I give serious consideration to jumping back on the bandwagon for the Cardinals, but they could have won a wild card game. I don't care who it is that they're going up against. We just saw it last night. They still can. It's fine. Wayno okay. gives them a chance in that game. And then you go game one with Jack Flaherty. You get another start from Jack potentially on the back end. You get one from Wayno in that series. You've got a shot against whoever you're going up against. But because of the injuries that they've gone through with Jack in particular this year, we, we were robbed of being able to see something like that. I, I think if you have Jack, a healthy Jack Flaherty, I think we're talking about a, I'm not going to say a Brewers-esque rotation, but kind of a slump-proof rotation mm-hmm. in some sort because you've got two guys that you feel really good about getting a win. The Cardinals, they had lost, what was it, five in a row that, entering that game for Adam Four. Wayne? Four in a row. Five out of six. Five out of six entering that game for Adam Wayne right last night. So what happened? You go into the game going, all right, well, he's going to have to stop the losing streak. Instead of being able to just have one guy that you could rely on to stop a losing streak, you'd have a Jack Flaherty that could also stop it too. If for some reason, Wayno couldn't do it. Or you have two guys that get you two wins, and then you find a way to get a win in somewhere else in that three, four, five spot in the rotation. I, I, I just think this injury, we don't see June. We, we do not see June if there's a healthy Jack Flaherty. You know what I learned last night? BK hates Wayno. What? Oh, whoa. Because that ball that was caught by Cody Bellinger in center field would have been a home run if they bring the fences in. Okay. Yeah, that's on me. True. Right? Am I wrong? Uh, By the way, that would have been Actually, you are wrong because Wayno said in postgame, if he was 39, he would have hit the home run. That's true, actually. Well, if he's 39 and he brings, or they bring the fences in, that's probably. Oh, yeah, it's gone by 15 yards. It's out of the ballpark more than anything, right? The what I will say, too, in attendance last night, if that ball would have gone over the wall, that place would have been louder than any Albert Pujols standing ovation we have seen so far in the series. 100%. I mean, everybody got up on their feet for that, but that's the appreciation of what you have for Adam Wainwright, right? And it's the to Tanner's point that he's made a million different times, and I disagree with it. It's not worth it for one of those individual moments, but that, that is why pitch, that's why pitchers hitting is cool. Yeah. Because yeah, you could is. potentially get a moment like last right. night where if that travels another two feet, it's a home or run for Adam pulled, Wainwright. If it's just pulled one mm-hmm. foot to the left. Exactly. Home yeah. run. But to your point, it is a shame that we haven't gotten to see the Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright duo, because honestly, for what Flair or Wayno has done this season and the shades of what we saw from Flaherty this year, I mean, you honestly are talking about a one-two punch that could have saved you a few games and you'd be in the conversation at least of catching Milwaukee compared to what you are now of just trying to get a playoff. And frankly, I go back to the Dakota Hudson one too, because I think it's a shame you're missing out on that this season with Wayno's performance, because those three combined, I think you're looking at a three-headed monster in your rotation. And the tough part about it is the reason why it's so difficult is because we didn't we didn't expect this out of Wayno we thought he could be good Mm -hmm. we saw last year he was good last year this is on another level man this is legitimately top 10 Cy Young candidate level and that's that's what makes it so disappointing is we we didn't know that we were going to be able to get another one of these vintage years we got a text from the text line 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314 guys this team still can't hit i've had enough of the ifs if if build a better team then we'll get more out of an adam wainwright season like this can we talk about how the offense has actually been pretty solid over the last six weeks I'll let you talk about it if you'd like. 
The Cardinals ranking in the National League. I'm curious, where do you think they rank in the National League and OPS Plus since the start of August? Uh, since oh, August 1st. I, I think I know the answer. It's first. Alex? Any guesses? He just said, I think I know this. It's first, so I'm going to assume it's first. It is indeed. They are first in the National League in OPS Plus since the start of August. Since August 1st. That's six weeks now. Now, they have not been great in with runners in scoring position. There's certain things that are still not up to par with this offense. But since August 1st, they're batting 260 as a team. They're getting on base 33% of the time. They have an OPS of 765. All of that's fine. The problem is this is that game of whack-a-mole again, right? You get into August and now instead of the offense being the problem, your rotation's taking a little bit of a dip and your bullpen, the big three, has just completely crumbled. So that's that's where we're at now. It's not just because of the offense. The offense has been better. And last night it was pretty darn good again. It's the other stuff that's not, so, not going So do you well. have the numbers of where they rank with runners in scoring position? What do you say they were? I don't have it up right now. I could find it for you here well, in the break, well, but I do not well, have it up. So here, but here's what I was going to say. If you had, And even if you don't, then because you said they haven't been great with runners in scoring position, I don't care what your OPS plus is. You may be 30% above league average. If you're not hitting in the clutch, you're not going to win a game. Here's and that's thing. been the story for the Cardinals for They're the whole year. They're 13th with runners in scoring yeah. position. That and, um, you since, can, and that's in, in all of baseball. And you yeah. can talk about OPS plus all, all you want, but look, at the end of the day, you played a series against the Pirates where you scored a total of seven runs. That's not fair. They had everybody's favorite. Suit, suit, Sugio! It doesn't matter for your offense where you scored seven runs against the Pirates. You scored six runs against the Tigers, and then the next series against the Pirates. You had a game where you scored 13, but then you also had a game where you scored 7-2. and two. You're totally right, and, and that's why I'm with you. Like the, It is a little misleading when I say, hey, OPS plus wise, they're, they're really good. There's certain situations where they've struggled, to your point, Tanner, and they have not capitalized in those. In the National League since August 1st, while they've been good offensively, they're 8th, so they're right in the middle of the pack with runners in scoring position. It's not good enough. When you look at what the bullpen has done since August 1st, not good enough. The non-Adam Wainwright starter since August 1st has not been good enough since August 1st. They did have a little bit of a stretch where Hap looked really good for them and they were getting a couple other quality starts, but on the whole, not good enough. So that's that's where they're at now. Yeah, like last night was the anomaly for me because last night was the, if you it, last night was an example of what it should look like all season for a winning team where you score runs early, you you capitalize on the pitcher and then you add to it in occasions throughout the rest of the game. The problem for the Cardinals is they'll score one run in the first inning and this is what we've seen a lot this season. You'll get one or two runs in the first inning and I'll send the text to T-Bone and say, "Oh my god, is this offense actually good?" And then the rest of that game, they won't get a runner past first base. It has been so inconsistent this season. So OPS plus looks great, but a lot of that's because they score 14 runs in one game against the Pirates or 13 runs against the Royals in a game. But then the next four, they score two runs combined. And to your point real quick, you mentioned uh, scoring yesterday in the first, not only scoring in the first, but being able to punch back. I mean, yeah. that's the that's the third game we're on this Dodgers series. The Dodgers scored first in the first inning, and I thought right away, oh boy, here we go. We're going to play on these pins and, and needles. capitalize with guys in runners in scoring position. And be, three for seven last night. Yeah. That's fine. That is, That'll work. That's good enough. And really capitalizing and, when you had the double steal, And too. like you said, adding on, BK texted us when O'Neal hit that home run. He said that that's a huge yes. home run. And I, Massive. At the time, I was like, yeah, it's big. 4-2, you should be good. I would have been wrong. Because before that, you sent the text to us and said, remember that Harrison Bader ground out with the bases loaded. And and when we left the ballpark last night, we left in the eighth. And I'm thinking, 
He's right because if they don't score that Tyler O'Neill run, you're you're a one run ball game, and you're probably talking about that Bader ground out when they didn't clear the bases or at least score a run with the runner. Uh, it was bases loaded. This was the bottom of the six. They were up four to two at the time. Harrison Bader's up at the plate. They've got two outs. When they didn't score anything there, yep. it was like, oh, they they're gonna lose this game. By the way, they're Bader, gonna lose. Bader, why are we swinging to El Man when the guy's not throwing? Strikes? Well, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you, but. That I thought they were going to lose in that moment. I also thought they were going to lose in the bo- in the bottom of the ninth. Well, I thought they were going to lose in the bottom of the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth too. Oh, Excuse good. me, they top of the a ninth. in the first. Yeah, well, when they scored three runs, I'm thinking, oh, okay, nice. I, I when Gallegos came into the game, I was nervous as hell. I thought that they were going to need, as as you said earlier, Alex. I thought they were going to need a full nine out of Adam Wainwright to be able to win that game. And when Gallegos came in, I was nervous, Nelly over here, pessimistic Pete. Was it hot in here? Captain comeback for the Dodgers. All of the above. <laughs> Didn't feel good. Did you guys feel that same thing in that final moment? Or were you confident that Gallegos would close no, things down? I felt it. We were we were listening on our way uh, to the parking garage. And as we were walking and Wayno got into that jam and Gallegos came in and, and they scored a couple of runs. I'm thinking, yeah. Tight butt cheeks. It's exactly what I was thinking. Tight butt cheeks. I was you feel it. I, you could tell what was going to happen. And frankly, listening to it when they said that he got the strikeout, I was really amazed because yeah, tight butt cheeks all the way back to the car. Yeah, I I was a little concerned. I thought they should have gone to Luis Garcia. I don't understand That's why. What I, said not, too. I do not understand not using him as the closer the at this point. And I don't. You were, so you were in the car, but that pitch that I think it was three two fastball to Taylor. He missed mightily, and you could tell the moment he released it because Yachty's looking low and away. It was up and in. The moment I saw that that pitch missed, I went, oh, God, they're going to tie it. And I won't lie, guys. I kind of wanted to see Pujols come up, though, with the runners My my cousin was with us, and he told me the same thing. He goes, Pujols is going to win this game for the Dodgers. And the fact that he was on deck, if he would have come up, you know that that game would have been over for for the Cardinals. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Our guy Ben Heisler is going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. It's the official start of the NFL season tonight. Heis is going to give us his big picks for the NFL this weekend and in tonight's game. He'll also give us some fantasy advice coming up in about 15 minutes or so coming up next i mentioned adam wainwright said last night's game was a legit must win for the cardinals what did you mean by that there was somebody else who was asked after the game if that was a must win and he disagreed with that assessment probably tanner tell you who that was coming up next on 101 espn giving you the picture the real big st louis sports picture it's bk and ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 espn That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Hey, a little bit of programming update for you. Coming up at 12 o'clock, we'll hear from David Backus. It was announced earlier today he signed a one-day contract with the Blues to officially retire as a St. Louis Blue, which is an awesome thing. He's going to speak to the media coming up at noon. We'll listen in on that All on right, your I'm home on right, your home I'm for too. the Blues 101 ESPN. That's coming up in about 40 minutes or so. But right now, I want to talk about the urgency that this team is feeling because if you're looking at who they're playing in these games, it ain't been a whole lot of urgency that I'm seeing from Mike Schilt. And I think last night, Alex, after the game, after Adam Wainwright had said he felt like that was a must-win game for the Cardinals. Mike Schilt was asked if he agreed with that assessment, and I think it gave us a glimpse into his mindset right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, it wasn't absolute, you know, back to the wall, you know, must win, but it was, you know, we got to win baseball games, you know, we got to be able to bring it home, and, and um, 
So I can I can appreciate why he said that for sure. So it wasn't a must win. It was a win game. <laughs> yeah. What? what? I, can, I, I can understand where Schilt is coming from. Please explain. Must win means like you either win or you're going home. And they lose that game. They're not going to be eliminated from the playoff race, BK. That was not a must win. It was. It would they be nice lo- to win. They had lost four in a row. Five out, or yeah, five out of their last six games. They're getting ready to go into a three-game series against Cincinnati. Maybe it wasn't truly a must-win, but you got Jake Woodford on the mound today against the LA Dodgers, and I haven't seen the lineup yet. We'll we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I'm gonna guess he's he's throwing out a bunch of non-regulars once again. And in the first three games of this series. He benched Goldie, Arenado, and Yachty, and Carlson, a 22-year-old. Like I, I'm and just baffled Sosa. by the lack of er- and Sosa, by the way, guys, because I don't know if anyone saw what Sosa did last night, but he was actually a little he's important so to the game. Clearly, your best option at shortstop, and he's still not starting every day, which is baffling. But I just don't understand the lack of urgency right now. I don't get it, man. This is your manager for the St. Louis Cardinals. When you're in a playoff race in the middle of September, you got Wayno on the bleeping mound. Whoa. You got to win these games. Oh, you're slamming stuff, man. It's so frustrating. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, Look, your, your ace just came out in front of the media five minutes before you got to the podium, and he says it was a must-win game. He said it three times in one answer. It's a must-win game. And then the manager comes out. He said, too. And, yeah, and he said today's a must-win game. And then the manager is going, come on! Your manager comes out in front of the media five minutes later. He's like, eh. I don't know. It would have been nice to win, but didn't feel that urgent. That's what I'm saying. It's not a must-win. It's a nice, nice-to-win game. He's treating this the same way that he would a random game against the Pirates in uh, April. <laughs> like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> we got to win some baseball games. Your team's supposed to be in the playoffs this year. Here's the thing, and I'm not defending Mike Schilt. I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek with that. But in all reality, it's not a must-win because you're not eliminated. It's pretty damn close. It is. And I heard Jamie on the fast lane yesterday talking about it. And maybe it's the hockey mindset more than something because we all know Jamie's that hockey mindset. He's a superstar NHL defenseman. Mm-hmm. He was. No, he still is. Oh, okay. Go watch him in an alumni game. Come on, BK. Yeah, really? Come but, on. That was a low blow. I mean, Circus. I'm under the same mindset. Like, you would have to basically come out onto the field and, and pull me off of the base and say, you're not playing today. If I'm Arenado, if I'm Goldschmidt, if I'm Yachty, no, I'm not coming out of any of these games in September. These are all must win for me. And frankly, if if I'm being paid and we are three and a half games out of a wild card place, I'm going to be in this lineup playing every single day. So you could say it's not a must win all you want. It's a must win. Let's bring up the five ah, Alex just threw his phone at the ceiling. I, I don't feel like that was necessary. I we mean, have no video hey, in here, hey, man. You know what? This is a must win for the Cardinals. This is a must win for us today oh, because we've embarrassed ourselves on the lineup game these yeah, last couple of times. I had no time. idea what it's going to do with this lineup. Oh, I already know. Carpenter's at third. The Young's <laughs> at short. They'll probably put Jose Rondon at first base. So you know what's funny? Ali Sanchez has got to be behind the plate today. Is Kisner going to start? Yes, Kisner's starting. Are you kidding me? It's a day-night flip. Of he course he's starting. He just a day off, though. Well, Yachty needs two days off because he's a warrior and he's been scratching and clawing do, all do season we, long. Do we try going the normal route and we'll adjust if need be? Well, I think, yeah. I, I mean... So Edmund at the top? Yeah, Edmund's got it. Edmund looked great yesterday. I mean, it starts off with another base hit. I thought it was going to be a double once again. Yeah, I think we start with Tommy Edmund at second base. Okay. 
Oh, oh yeah. Mike Shields, here we go. We're on a heater. We're on a heater here. Never get off a heater. Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt. Okay. BK, I got this one. The Canadian Hulkster, Tyler O'Neill. Oh, okay. my God. He's got the C. He's going to roll Nolan the same Arnado. lineup. Nolan Arnado. Okay, okay, so Carlson's got to be back in because he had the day off yesterday. Now, I don't know. If we he... don't think Yachty's in. No, Yachty's not playing. I guarantee you Yachty's Show not playing. Show us Carlson. Okay, now here's where it gets interesting. Are we going to go Sosa? Are you going to go De Jong? No, De Jong's not in there. Does, Maybe Bader, does Bader get the day off? Because he's I, given everyone a day off in the outfield other I, than Tyler Neal. Sosa. Oh, man, I wonder if Bader gets the day Okay, we'll go Sosa. I mm. See, I, I here's what I think this is. I think this is Lars Newpar. Newpar didn't look great last night, but Bader's the only one that hasn't gotten a day off. By the way, Newpar couldn't even get the ball to the cutoff man last night. Seriously, every ball skipped to him. We don't, we yeah. don't talk. Remember BK saying Newpar is the guy that you play yeah. no matter what? We like Newpar. I think you go Newpar here. That's just me. But I, what do you think? So we still need a shortstop. We still need a catcher. And we you, still need a center field. I know exactly what the short. The shortstop has to be Paul DeYoung. But they're not going to play oh Paul God. DeYoung here, right? Not after Sosa just had that game. There's no way. Okay. Well, Do we I, go Newt? I say Newt here. Newt and Newt. Newt. Okay. No, no here's a question. Is he right or center? He's going to be in right. I and they'll put, they'll put Carlson in center. Well, obviously, he would have to be in right yeah, or center because Carlson's playing. Sosa? Uh, yeah, you got to put Sosa here. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. No you got to be kidding they me. They did not. Hold they on. did it. There's no. no way. There's no way they're You're benching Sosa. You're sitting the guy who went two for four last night? There's no way. No. He was one of the main reasons you... Oh, my God. That means Paul DeYoung. Because Yachty's not playing. Kisner's not hitting here. Paul DeYoung's hitting here. Show me Paul DeYoung. No oh, my God. God. No, no way. No. I, don't, I don't understand. No. What? Why? Why? Well, let's finish Why? it out. Show me Andrew Kisner. Show me Jake Woodford. Oh my God! So Edmund Goldie, O'Neill, Arenado. I love that. Carlson. Carlson. I love that. Newt Bar. Don't love that. Do you hung? I really don't love that. And Kisner. Oh man. So Yadi got two days off in the series against the Dodgers. Do you think Wayno? He makes those Sosa got two days off he, in the series against Wayno the Dodgers. Wayno makes those statements post game and says that was a must win and we need to split. <laughs> Mike Schultz said it wasn't a must win. Do you think he's saying no? We're not going to split. We're going to we're going to win one of these four. I don't understand. It's not your job. Well, that's true. It isn't your job, BK. It's not my job either. I would have put out a better lineup today. Ben Heisler's next. Back to BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. Giants are thinking right now as they look at the lineups that the Cardinals have put out over the last four days. Oh, well, this is an easy win for us. Well, the, the Giants are two games up on the Dodgers. So they've got to be like, you've got to be kidding. What me. do you think the Mets are thinking? Where they're <laughs> right behind the Cardinals thinking like, oh, well, we got no shot at this. There's three teams in front of us. Eh, maybe there's only two teams in front of us. Maybe one of these teams doesn't want to win the wild Mike card. Mike Schilt is getting paid by somebody. That's plain and simple. Oh, we can't make those kinds of accusations. I, I'm i going to go ahead and distance myself from that statement. That was no, Alex no, Ferrario, not Brandon He's getting paid by Kyler. the Cardinals. That's correct. He's getting paid by the Cardinals. Right now, though, 
a guy that we don't pay, but he deserves to be paid. His name is Ben Heisler. He's the managing editor for BetSided. He joins us via the Browning Group and Celebrity Line, one of the best fantasy, betting, everything you could want football-wise analysts in the country. Heist, we always appreciate the time, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. I'm actually the one paying Mike Schultz, so it's all good. Everything kind of comes full circle. Yeah, the world just kind of works itself out. That's the way to go, Benny. I like it. He is a Cubs fan, so that makes a lot of sense. Okay, (laughs) there you go. They feel like they got a shot. Then pieces together. (laughs) It checks out. All right, Heist. Football season is officially back tonight. At least the NFL side. We've seen plenty of college football. And by the way, I got a bone to pick with you about your Indiana Hoosiers after last week. But we'll get to that here in a little bit. What do you like tonight? It's 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 Cowboys versus the Buccaneers. I know the Bucks are a pretty big favorite in this one. What do you like, and what does the public seem to like so far? Yeah, so I think when it comes to this game, you've seen the line continue to move further and further and further in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' direction. For most sports books, it opened at around six. Uh, some of them opened it a little bit more cautiously at six and a half, and we've now seen this pretty much at a consensus of eight in favor of Tampa Bay. I, I talked to one of our insiders over at WinBet Sportsbook, who we work with over at BetSided, uh, and, and talked to one of their senior traders there to, just to get an indication of where exactly the, the money and the bet percentage is coming in. Uh, and they told me that 72% of the betting tickets are on Tampa Bay, which is you know not necessarily that surprising, uh, although I think a lot of people might be dumbfounded knowing that Dallas is almost always uh, one of the teams that public betters tend to, to jump on board with, especially this year with some higher expectations and Dak Prescott coming back. But 72% of the bets are on Tampa Bay, but 83% of the money, guys, is coming in on Tampa Bay, even at that high number of minus eight in the standalone game. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Dak Prescott did not play during the preseason. You have to see whether or not he's going to be fully recovered from both the severe ankle injury that knocked him out after five games last year. And he also dealt with a shoulder sprain over the course of the preseason. And then for anybody that's indicating, well, you know, I took Ezekiel Elliott number five in my fantasy draft, and he's going to have a much better year. He's going to be good, but going up against Tampa Bay's run defense is not a task that I would want for anybody to have to deal with. They, they gave up, you know, more than 100 yards four times over the course of the entire season, and they're number one in the NFL at stopping the run and number two in allowing touchdowns to running back. So it's just a bad matchup all the way around for Dallas. Personally, I'm leaning on the under here at 52. It just feels like there's not going to be as much high scoring between two teams uh, that had pretty dynamic offenses. I think you'll see Tampa Bay get out in front comfortably and then probably ease on back in the second half. Just feels like it's not going to be that high-scoring affair that a lot of us anticipated. But anytime you get to, to eight points in a standalone game, I, I tend to have a little bit of hesitation. Heiss, I'm glad you brought up the fantasy because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening wondering what to do in their fantasy football game with this one tonight because on one side, if you have any Tampa Bay playmakers, you're thinking, well, this is going to be a huge game for us. But on the Dallas side, do you take a shot with some of these players? I, I think it's dependent, too, Ferrario, about uh, which backups you might have. It's probably within your best interest to still play back Prescott, especially based on what we talked about. Like they're going to have to throw on Tampa more than likely. They're going to have to play from behind and, and garbage time is still fantasy relevant time. So Prescott could still throw for, you know, 250 yards, maybe a couple touchdowns. It may not mean much uh, by the time the, the end of the game comes around, but I, I still think he's a startable option. Uh, certainly CD lamb. If he's going to be playing in the slot uh, against Sean Murphy bunting, that's an advantageous matchup. Although they've said that they're going to move him around quite a bit. Um, so I don't have an, I don't have a problem if you're playing Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb or Dak Prescott. Um, it's tough to go ahead and 
take Zeke Elliott out of your lineup, I, I would say I wouldn't expect more than about 40, 50 yards rushing. I, I do think he'll catch more passes tonight, though. So I, I think he's going to provide some value if you're in uh, points per reception leagues, PPR leagues. Um, but, but other than that, don't expect a, a high-volume game out of Ezekiel Elliott tonight. You're probably looking at him as more of an RB2 this week. We're joined by Ben Heisler. He's the managing editor for BetSided. You can follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis, H-E-I-S on Twitter as well. Heis, I'm in a over-under pool this year. I do it every year. I think you're in this as well. And normally I've got some conviction behind my picks. Now, I don't do particularly well, but I've got conviction at the beginning of the season. I think I've had less confidence picking the over-unders this year than maybe at any point in time that I've done this over the last five years are there any picks in particular that you just love when you're looking at the win totals for the season this year? Yeah, I, I think you can start with Kansas City. I've seen them at, at sportsbooks at, at 12. Uh, even though you're paying heavy juice on that total, I, I still think Kansas City clears it. Uh, yeah, it's an improved division. I think the Chargers and the Broncos are going to be better. But if you really look at their schedule, uh, I'm not sure where you probably find a spot where they're going to be underdogs in the game throughout the course of the season. Uh, from a health perspective, everybody is looking good. Uh, you've heard the offseason quotes. I think Kansas City comes in as uh, a really strong contender, uh, not only just to, to clear their win total this year, but, but certainly amongst the favorites to go back to the Super Bowl as well. I, I think if you're looking for a team that you probably want to side on the under for, um, I know it's not necessarily a, a popular pick because of the mess of, of Indianapolis this year, uh, but I, I'm still not buying uh, on Tennessee. I, I've seen some totals coming in uh, at about 10 wins this year where their over-under is concerned, and I just think Tennessee is a bit of a flawed team. They haven't done much to address a lot of their defensive concerns other than bringing Bud Dupree, who's going to help you know, rush the passer, but their secondary is still an absolute mess. They are in a winnable division, clearly, uh, but they're just not a, a team that I have a whole lot of high expectations for, and the numbers for running backs that have gone over 2,000 yards the following season, uh, my old teammate over at Sports Illustrated, Michael Fabiano, brought this up, um, and Ian McMillan wrote about it over at Betsided as well. Uh, running backs who have gone over 2,000 yards the following season have seen their rushing totals go down by about three, 537 yards the following year. Now, you know, that could still theoretically mean that Derrick Henry is rushing for close to 1,500 yards, which would be among the league best. But uh, for anybody that's convinced that he's going to be an, an absolute dynamo once again, uh, a lot of numbers in the past would indicate for even, you know, as great running backs as we've seen in the past, and Henry's been very durable the last few years, um, that there's going to be some, some changes there, and there's going to be some areas of regression. So whether it be Derrick Henry, whether it be the defense not being able to live up to expectations, don't forget they have a new offensive coordinator with Arthur Smith going to Atlanta, and there was a comfort level for Ryan Tannehill. I, I'm not necessarily buying on the Titans this year, even though they're everybody's darling in the AFC South. Well, I'm glad you talked about this one then, Heist, because this is the so we're in our fast lane pick'em challenge once again, which you helped me out tremendously with last year. BK not so much because you know he forgets to to save his picks every once in a I while. I got replaced anyway. Yeah, Matt Holiday's he's in terrible, there now. Benny, but it's fine. I am so torn between this Tennessee Titans and Cardinals game because everyone seems to be siding with Tennessee in this matchup. But for some reason, I feel like Tennessee's defense is so bad that Arizona might be able to put on a clinic against Tennessee. Yeah, I really like Arizona this year. In fact, that's another team that I think you can go ahead and consider the over on for their win totals. I think Winbet had it either at seven and a half or eight the last time I checked. Uh, Arizona, interestingly enough, they're projected to finish last in the division, but it's a 
really, really good division. You have the Rams that now have a quarterback in Matthew Stafford. They still have the best defensive player in football. San Francisco is going to be improved as well. Uh, Seattle, a team that I think a lot of people are very high on considering that it may be Russell Wilson's final season there. Uh, but I, I just think Arizona has so many different weapons, right? Kyler Murray was a, a dark horse pick to win MVP last year. And I think a lot of people have forgotten about the type of player that he can be. You know, he scored 38 total touchdowns both through the air and on the ground last year. Uh, they drafted Rondale Moore, who is just an electric runner in space. And he's going to take on that slot receiver spot that Larry Fitzgerald left behind. And uh, even Fitzgerald at age 37 a season ago was still catching you know, a handful of passes per game. So now that's another dynamic weapon that you can add into the mix as well. Uh, they're just very versatile and they have a great pass rush as well. And I think Ryan Tannehill, for as good as he's been the last couple of years, I don't know if they're going to be prepared for Arizona's pass rush in that game. So I, I think Arizona can absolutely win that game on the road, go to Tennessee, make a statement that they're going to be hanging around in this, in, in this NFC West division throughout the entire season. Heist, final question that I've got for you. The two games of the week this weekend are Chiefs-Browns and then Packers against the Saints. What do you like in those two games? And I have to imagine you're just playing all of your fantasy studs from those four teams, right? No doubt about it. I, I don't think there's ever a point where you're ever considering not playing anybody from the Chiefs, uh, anybody from the Packers. Um, you know, Saints and Browns to a certain extent, uh, I think it's different. Maybe at the running back spot for Cleveland, uh, those are, are must plays each and every week. But yeah, I, I kind of expect the Browns to, to sort of try to do what they did to the Chiefs in the postseason game. Uh, as well, I, they're going to take some opportunities and chances to play action. I still have a few concerns uh, with what the Chiefs secondary is ultimately going to look like. But, you know, the Browns, for as good as they were last year, were atrocious in their week one opener. And you certainly have to consider trusting Andy Reid when it comes to time and preparation. And the Chiefs came out last year. Uh, and made an absolute statement. Now, granted, they did it against a bad Houston Texans team, but I don't think we all thought that was going to be as terrible of a team as they ended up being last year. So right now the line for Kansas City is minus six and a half. They've had some issues on occasion at home covering the spread, but I think they're out to make a statement this year. So I do like the Chiefs to cover that minus six and a half. Uh, as for Green Bay, uh, there's been some numbers. They're playing in Jacksonville, and Aaron Rodgers has had some struggles there. But uh, listen, it's the Saints. It's been a, a very hectic time in the city of New Orleans. Uh, they're likely playing the first quarter of their season on the road. Uh, the lines moved from uh, the Packers minus three to minus four, even though they're on the road. But they don't have to play in the in the Superdome. So for me, that's a, a massive, massive advantage. Aaron Rodgers talked about the the, the fact that he didn't have to worry about dealing with that noise in Jacksonville. So I think he's going to be very loose, very relaxed. He's clearly playing with a chip on his shoulder this year and likely his final season in gray in green Bay. There's plenty of underdogs that I like this week, but, but for those two games in particular, I think you'll see statement games from both the favorites with Kansas city and also with green Bay. He's Ben Heisler managing editor for bet sided. Follow him on Twitter at Benny Heis. Heis, I'm going to forgive you for leading me astray with your Indiana Hoosier Hoosiers hey, last Heis, week. I took them lead them astray every week, my man and our pick them. I took them uh, whenever I was out in Memphis on my bachelor party, put a little bet on them. It did not go well for your Hoosiers, but I'll forgive you. I still got all love for you. Heis. Thanks for hopping on with us today, man. My pleasure. And listen, if there was anybody that was more upset than you over watching that just absolute dog crap performance from Indiana, uh, it was your boy on the other side. So hopefully they, they get some stuff figured out. Uh, that offensive line is, is a disaster right now. Michael Penix needs time to throw. 
Well, hopefully they get that back on track. I will not be making the mistake of betting on them again the rest of the year. <laughs> He's Ben Heisler, managing editor for Betside, and joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, David Backus' is retirement presser. We'll have that live for you right here on your home for the Blues. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, a quick an- uh, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In about five minutes or so, David Backus is going to join the media to talk about his retirement, signed a one-day contract with the Blues. But first, let's get to some of your questions. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, would an offseason where the Cardinals signed Seager a top pitcher oh. and Albert Pujols be the dream offseason for the Cardinals. Seager, top pitcher, Pujols. Add in Brad Miller, and then I'd say hell yes. I actually would agree with that. I would too. That's why I said it. I think I would too. That's I mean, that fills four of your pretty much your need to get a platoon left-handed bat off the bench. Another pitcher to go in with the I think I would prefer now. to see them get a lefty outfield bat. Like Jock Peterson. Yeah, we, we could throw whoever. in the outfield. Uh, but that, yeah, I mean, that's a really good start to the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that that's like the that's like the video game version of the offseason because you're getting one or the other. You're not getting both in terms of the top pitcher and the shortstop. Guys, part of me last night when I'm watching Edmundo Sosa play, and I'm not saying I'm falling for the, oh, he's your everyday starter, but I got a feeling the Cardinals are going to fall for that. They're mm. going to fall for, oh, man, no. we got Paul Young. He's not cheap. even starting him today. I know, but like. That's a mighty show. I think it's just because they're trying to decide what to do with Paul Young. But like, I feel like the Cardinals look at Edmundo Sosa and like, oh, there's our guy. He's if, our number number one next year. What if he splits time next year with Tommy Edmund at second? Well, where's Nolan Gorman playing? He's not just going to be strictly DH. Second, you're going to play him. I mean, you, you can rotate Sosa around. Do you mean you Edmund s- playing short? You said no. Sosa and Se- Seager Ed- at short. Oh, I got gotcha. And then Seager will get a couple of days off here and there. That's what obviously. I think will happen. You have Edmundo Sosa as a utility guy. He can play third if you need an off day for Arenado. Where Arenado yeah. that day is your DH. He can play second. Sosa can. He can play short if you need him to. He can play all over. He's great defensively wherever you put him. He's basically what Tommy Edmund was last year for you. That's what I think will happen. Edmundo Sosa is going to be the ultimate off the bench guy. And I think Tommy Edmund will be the fourth outfielder and platoon second baseman with Nolan Gorman. I mean, honestly, if they go get Corey Seager, your bench, in my opinion, is pretty much set. Uh, Add Albert Pujols. That's going to make it even better. But your bench is pretty much set other than finding a lefty off the bench. I, I would agree with that. The only thing is for Sosa, for them to utilize him best, that he needs to play not every day, but he has to get some good reps. He can't go through a regimen where it's, I'm playing once every seven days. Because look at his splits. He's not good as a bench bat. If he's getting the three starts a week because he's rotating with a Sosa or with a Edmund, or maybe he's rotating at that DH spot, then that makes sense. But he can't just be a guy that you put on the bench and he's there once every seven Six, days. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, I don't get the hype with Sosa. How many teams at times have we seen a random guy play better and then we put him in the lineup every day and he ends up regressing? Sosa is just a guy. I don't think Sosa is just a guy. I think he has some unique abilities that he brings to the table. I do think he's more glove than, than, than bat. I'd agree. Moving forward, I don't think you should expect him to be a 275, 280 hitter. He's probably closer to 250 or 260 with a little bit of pop, like gap-to-gap power, similar to what you see from Tommy Edmond. Honestly, 
what you've seen this year from Tommy Edmond is basically what I think Edmundo Sosa is. He matches actually the identity of what they would want towards the bottom of their lineup. He doesn't address the problem in terms of the top of the lineup like a Corey Seager would, but he addresses the problem that is the six to nine spot of getting guys on base. And when you have a DH, you can more easily have that guy in your lineup every day or regularly, even if he's not an everyday player. You need to upgrade at shortstop, in my opinion. But Edmundo Sosa, if he's on the team next year, I don't think that's a problem for the Cardinals. All right. Tanner, you've got a question. Let's carry that over into uh, the junk drawer. We'll do that coming up at 1245, but we've got to get to David Backus's press conference. We'll do that here on the other side on 101 ESPN. More of the guys right now. BK and Ferrario brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. to the home of the Blues 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Today is the day that David Backus is officially announcing his retirement with the Blues. He has signed a one-day contract with St. Louis to retire a Blue after a 15-year NHL career. He's speaking with the media right now. We'll go ahead and let you guys hear a little bit of that conversation, like I said, right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Experience uh, one more time with them, and uh, I just... I, I can't believe that's the way that my last week went and I'm so grateful for it. And, uh, you know, that reception in St. Louis is something singed in my brain and, and all those festivities obviously uh, meant a ton to me and happy that I can have this opportunity to, to be part of, uh, you know, the blues organization again at the end of my career. David, what have, what have you been doing? David, what have you what have you been doing since the season ended? Um, well, my daughter was in uh, kindergarten last year, so we stayed in California till mid June, and then uh, made the pilgrimage back to Minnesota, like we have every other summer. Uh, spent the summer in Minnesota around family and friends. Um, Kelly's uh, uh, father's suffering from early onset Alzheimer's, so making some extra memories with him and just kind of uh, being able to put some, some things into perspective of, you know, how much family time really matters. And, and those moments are critical. And um, so we did that for a lot of the summer and now we're back in California for uh, the school year and we'll see what opportunities come up and what uh, this, this wonderful life has next for us on the docket, which may be just being husband and wife and family and, uh, you know, enjoying some of the fruits of, of a 15-year career and, and having the opportunity to be together on a regular basis. Were you thinking about it at all, or was it all already settled in your mind that you were, you were retired? Uh, well, last year was, uh, you know, I think a difficult year for everyone with COVID. And uh, then you put in the protocols and the lack of fans and a little bit of isolation um, you know, I spent a ton of time on the taxi squad, which is suboptimal, played 15 games or so. Uh, you know, I, like I said in that letter, I'd wanted to play a thousand games. So the idea of, well, just one more year, but then you start thinking of the practicality of, okay, it's an 82 game season. Does somebody even want me first of all? And then if you're on a team, are you able to get in the lineup for 35 games, stay healthy? Um, I've had some, uh, health issues obviously in the past. So I felt like the game was, was kind of done with me and truthfully, um, felt like I 
you know, was, was mostly done with the game as well. So I think it was just, it felt right with the ending we were able to have with all the things, just 35 more games and get me to a thousand, you know, somehow make me whole inside. I don't think it does. I think it's, it's all these memories that are coming back and the people that have messaged me today and the sentiment that is shared, you know, with the places I played and the people we've connected with. And uh, that's really impactful to me. And, and, you know, we settled down on, I have been gone for a lot of, you know, kids activities and things. And it's a, it's time for me to, you know, reconnect with family and to be present and, uh, you know, be grateful for all the opportunities we did have, but now to be, you know, in this next chapter, which uh, just feels right. And um, again, the script seems too good to be true of how it ended. And now the blues being uh, interested in, in, a one day contract so I could come back there and, and end this where it all began, you know, after seeing Barrett do that, I really clicked with me that that's an awesome opportunity and, and uh, to have that has, has been phenomenal. David, when you look back on your career, how do you want to be remembered as a player? Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that, uh, well, I, I think there's, that's something that other people have to decide how I will be remembered, how I hope to be remembered, you know, as a guy that gave it all and did everything in my power and didn't waste an opportunity, left it all on the ice and, uh, you know, was a great teammate to the guys that I was wearing the same sweater as. And, you know, the, again, the statistical component of it, the on ice success as a team, you know, that is what it is. But if, if I'm remembered as a guy that, you know, was dependable, that was responsible, that cared for people, um, and then went out there and did it myself, to me, that's, that's all that matters as I leave this game. You're listening to David Backus' retirement press conference right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. I'm going to be up here in Boston. Uh, congrats on retirement. Thank you. Thanks for being uh, so personable, so professional, uh, so accountable. Uh, during your time in Boston. And I know you addressed this a little bit in your letter, but just what do you take away uh, from when you look back now in retrospect from those years when you were with the Bruins? Uh, you know, I did address it a little bit. I think those years in Boston were, were, I'd say humbling in a few regards. First of all, guys, you know, I'd spent the first 10 years of my career in St. Louis, never had to move. You know, once I knew the community relations guy or the public relations guy or the security guard or, um, you know, the general manager, assistant general manager, training staff, like those are my guys and those are my guys for 10 years. So maybe you got a new face. You had to learn one new name or you had to learn six new prospects that were in camp. But for me, it was, uh, you know, those are all new things. You don't bring those people nor the people that are away from the game with you to the, to the next city. So I got a new respect for the guys that changed teams frequently. And then I had a new role when I got to Boston, I was no longer the captain or the guy that was looked upon to be the, you know, the clutch guy or to pay, play in big situations. There were guys that were already in those roles and doing a really good job of it in Boston. So I had to be more of a supporting cast. And uh, I think my time as being in those other roles certainly helped me on how to be a good supporting cast member to uh, you know, take direction from the leadership to ask how I could help rather than wait to be told um, to grab some younger guys and have more quality time with them. Because I know when you're one of those 
prominent leader guys, your time is stretched so thin through so many different aspects that you don't have time to necessarily deal with the small details and to have someone dealing with them would be um, very important. On top of the on-ice roles of less playing time, less critical minutes being played when the game was on the line um, was humbling, but also, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then I think it all circles back, obviously, to the uh, to the finals in 19 that were um, so much emotion wrapped up into that. And, uh, you know, some players never make it to a Stanley Cup finals and play 15 years. I'm grateful for that opportunity. Uh, when I left St. Louis, I said if if the team I was playing on wouldn't wasn't going to win the cup, I hoped it would be the Blues. And as much as that was a bitter pill to swallow that year because I had hoped to win a, a cup. Uh, you know, I was happy for the city of St. Louis. Uh, at the same time, my guts were ripped out from being so close and not winning it. So, um, you know, that's my, I guess, three minute synopsis of my time in Boston. I think <laughs> I was, the people that we did meet in the city were amazing. The people in my daughter's school, the people around the rink, um, you know, I was just back there, uh, unfortunately on, on, not good terms with uh, going to Jamie Hayes's funeral. And um, you start to see some of the people that you had impact on and that impacted you and your time. And, uh, you know, like my letters, really what was the emphasis in there was the people are what matters. And, and that really hit home in my time back there last week. Good luck with everything, David. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. David, this may be uh, impossible to answer given 10, 10 years, an entire decade in St. Louis. Is there one memory that sticks out? Maybe one that you think about the most, even if it's maybe not the most memorable moment in the game or, 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 or anything like that. Um, the one moment to me is in 2016, the game seven um, against Chicago in the Scott trade center and everything leading up to that, knowing, you know, everything that rested on that game. And I truly believe if, if we don't win that game and the lack of success we had in the playoffs in years prior, that it might be a complete teardown of that team because we just couldn't get past Chicago and we couldn't get past Chicago and maybe they get some more momentum from winning that first round and they win another cup. And um, you know, there's a lot of things that really pivoted on that game. Instead we win, we beat, Dallas in the, in seven games in the second round. And then we're into the conference finals. And it's like, we've got something here and this doesn't need, um, you know, a, a full redo. This needs a couple tweaks and we're right on the doorstep or it needs a couple bounces or it needs one more piece here or there. And all of a sudden we're at the promised land. And I think certainly it, it happened. Unfortunately, I wasn't a part of it, but I think, you know, a couple of years later, there's a, you get, you know, not that it was Hitch's fault or Mike Yo's fault, but you get a new coach that's got more of a, you know, workman-like background and, and emphasis and guys accept roles and a goalie gets hot. And all of a sudden that step is taken in a, you know, a, quite a turnaround year. And I think we all felt that that was a possibility after we made that run in 2016. So that moment I'd say in, in game seven, I think Troy Brower, you know, was the most seasoned guy and was a former Blackhawk and had a big game. That game was, uh, you know, all those memories of going in that game, the nerves and just being on cloud nine after that game are, are certainly burned into my brain. 
That's David Backus in his retirement uh, ceremony here in St. Louis. Signed a one-day contract with the Blues today to retire a Blue after his 15-year NHL career. Of course, the final game that he played in the 2020 season, 2021 season, was on May 25th against St. Louis when he received that incredible standing ovation here at home. And uh, I remember the scene after that game, Alex. That's going to be one of the memories along with the game that he's talking about right there that is forever etched in my memory of him sitting with Darren Pang, tears flowing mm-hmm. down his face as he remembers what it was like to play here in St. Louis, recalls all the memories, and talks about how special it was for it to end here in St. Louis. And now it is officially ending with him retiring as a blue. Yeah, and I thought it was cool. The, the memory in, in my mind, too, is that game, but him shaking hands and hugging David Perron afterwards because those two guys, I mean, he was a two-year player at the time when Perron started his rookie year and they started that transition. But props to the Blues for doing this. I think it's incredible and it's really cool too. Today's the 10-year anniversary of him being named the captain of the Blues. So awesome thing. This was the way it was supposed to be for Backus to retire a we'll Blue. Have plenty more on David Backus throughout the show today. We will talk to, about David Backus with Craig Button. Let's get his insight on what what Backus meant to this Blues team, how much of an important piece he was to what they ultimately built in that Stanley Cup title. Plus, what's Craig Button think about the Vladimir Tarasenko situation and the Colton Pareko contract extension. Craig Button of TSN joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we are happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Craig Button, hockey analyst for TSN. He's on Twitter at Craig J Button joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Craig, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. We're, we're getting excited for hockey season to officially be <laughs> around the corner now. Um, I wanted to ask you about one of the big moves that the Blues made recently. They decided to extend Colton Pareko on a big-time deal. What did you make of their move, especially after him having so many back issues a year ago? Did, did you like the decision to bring back Colton Pareko on the eight-year contract? Well, the first thing is, is that you, 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 there's no question that they would have gone through the proper medical evaluation and, you know, health survey of Colton before committing to eight years. And I think that, you know, you know, players, you know, over the years have had ailments that may, may cause, you know, a little bit of a pause uh, before you commit like this. But I think Doug Armstrong, the St. Louis Blues going through the process, are, are satisfied that Colton can, you know, get to the end of, of that contract and, and be a, a really good, solid player for them through the course of that. I think the dollars are, are, are a real nice fit. I think Colton is a, is a player that can distribute, can contribute in so many different areas on your team. And you start to look at where players have just signed as free agents and, you know, the, the, the dollar figures are getting into the high eights, nines, low nines. And, I think for Doug Armstrong, looking around and understanding uh, what Colton provides to the St. Louis Blues and, uh, you know, having a real confidence that he can, uh, you know, continue to contribute at, at, at that level or close to that level, 
you know, is a, it, it's a really good contract. Craig, you've been an executive before for a hockey team. How do you weigh the risk and reward when it comes to a long contract like that, an eight-year contract uh, for a player who he's still fairly young, but obviously at the tail end of that, he's going to be 36 years old? He will be. And, 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 you know, again, you try to look at a player and try to say, okay, how efficient is he? I, I think players uh, that are really smart, that skate with an ease, are going to have an ability to, to ha- have productivity later on in their careers as they hit to their mid-30s. And I, I think Colton fits that perfectly. You know, we've seen a lot of players – uh, you know, when we look at contracts that are, you know, long-term contracts that are handed out. But Colton is 28. The other thing that I think has to be kept in mind is, is he doesn't have a lot of games. He, at 28 years of age, he, he has just over 400 games played. And I think that that's another factor that comes into play when you're looking at it. You know, it's the wear and tear of playing that can also be a contributing factor to decline. And I think when you look at Colton, the fact that he's been a good player, the fact that he he only has just over 400 games played, I think these are all signals and all signs, uh, as well as watching how he trains, understanding him as a person, getting the medical report. Those are all significant factors in extending Colton Pareto. But I think that when you look at it in its entirety, you know, these are the decisions that are made and, Quite frankly, I, I think it's a real good, strong contract. And obviously, if Colton gets hurt and, 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 and he can't fulfill it, you, you know, you look back and, and, and say, hey, what, what's happened? If his game falls off, you say, what's happened? But at this point in time, without the benefit of, uh, of knowing what's going to unfold and knowing what, what, what you're assessing, I think the Colton Pareto is a long time. St. Louis Blue is a real solid move. Craig Buttons, a hockey analyst for TSN. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Craig, I remember talking to you right around this time last year when Jamie Rivers was on the show, and we asked you about the Alex Petrangelo sweepstakes. You said it's it's a no-brainer. you got to bring him back. What do you think about the way that Doug Armstrong has remade this defensive core with Pareko kind of that being that number one guy now, and you've got Tory Krug and Justin Falk in the mix for the long term. How do you feel about the Blues decor now compared to where it was this time last year? Uh, well, I mean, I mean, they were starting out last year without Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you start to look at Alex Petrangelo and, and the significant significance of him to any team. Certainly, St. Louis Blues fans know what Alex contributed to the Blues. So I don't think there's any question. I mean, you watch him with the Vegas Gold Knights. I mean, he his game is, is real, real strong. And I think that, you know, Justin Falk, you know, had had, had a real significant uh, bite of the, of the game and, and was and played really well last year for the St. Louis Blues for stretches. Tory Krug, you know, had had his moments where he, he showed where he was capable. He also had some growing pains, you know, coming, uh, you know, in into the St. Louis Blues. You know, one of the things that I think when you look at this team, and and I think there's a lot of question marks on the blue line. I think that's the that's the number one thing when you look at it. They don't have the depth that they had when they were Stanley Cup winners. Uh, and, you know, you can look at Scott Kulinovich and say, okay, he can step in. But you start to look after those first three defensemen, Falk, Krug, and Pareko. I mean, Scandella is a bottom pair defenseman. Robert Petuzzo is a bottom pair defenseman. There's not a lot of depth there in that group. And, you know, you start to look at where they had success and, you know, how, how they were able to push their game 
and uh, you know, to, to to become Stanley Cup champions. You know, I think Doug Armstrong. You know, the Ford Group is real good. I think the Ford Group's excellent. You know, we will probably talk a little bit about Tarasenko, so I'll leave that alone for now. But if there's an area where Doug is going to be able to evaluate his team, it's going to be on the blue line. What what are the capabilities of some of the younger players who can take on a little bit more responsibility? But as, as we look at it now, it's not a deep blue line. You read my mind, Craig, because we do want to talk about the Vladdy situation. Again, we're talking with former NHL executive and TSN hockey analyst Craig Button here on BK and Ferrario. So, Craig, this is a really interesting dilemma that Doug Armstrong is in. Of course, we, we you know, Vladdy coming out with his displeasure with the Blues and asking to be traded. Nobody really biting on the trade request, according to reports from what Doug Armstrong is looking for. Where do you go with this scenario of your Doug Armstrong with training camp right around the corner? And Vladdy looking like he's going to start this season with the Blues. Well, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko starting the year with the Blues, I think it's really straightforward. I mean, you're a St. Louis Blue, and if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm sitting down with Vladimir Tarasenko and saying, hey, listen, we, we, we heard about your displeasure. And I would have to imagine that, you know, once Doug goes through it with the player and, and you, you try to understand, you know, what were contributing factors to that displeasure, then you try to say, okay, is this something we can reconcile? Is this something that we can resolve? And, you know, when, when Doug sits down, so, sometimes a player, you know, when you get frustrated and you, and, and, and you feel that you're capable of more and you, you, for whatever reason you don't feel like things are working. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is just say, okay, you know, I want to I wanna leave. And for managers at times, you know, you go, okay, you know, we talk about it all in the public, oh, you can't have a disgruntled player. Just because you're not happy doesn't mean you're disgruntled. Doesn't mean you can't reconcile a situation. And I think when Doug goes through that evaluation and understands, okay, what can we do to make the situation better? Vladdy, what can you do to make the situation better? Because there's one thing that's very, very clear with Vladimir Tarasenko. A healthy Vladimir Tarasenko is an elite offensive player, an elite goal scorer in the National Hockey League. And I think as Doug went through that process of trying to understand where Tarasenko was at, he also said, hey, listen, you know what? This is a player that has significant value. And probably the reason he didn't get traded is because Doug Armstrong said, you know what? I'm not trading you unless I get a, a, a real a reasonable and satisfactory return. So he comes back. And, it, and to me, it's real simple. You know what? You play for the St. Louis Blues, you play and you and, and that's your obligation and you and you find a way to play does it mean that you don't have say in how things can uh unfold and there's nothing wrong with uh, voicing your displeasure but if you come to a, a point where you can resolve those issues and reconcile everything Vladimir Tarasenko is a very gifted player and as a healthy player you know there's not very many of them there's not very many like him in the NHL I will add one more thing to that I also look at the addition of Pavel Busnevich, you know, in that trade uh, for Sammy Blake. I also look at that and try to understand, you know, what does his addition mean to the St. Louis Blues? And specifically, what does it mean for Vladimir Tarasenko? Busnevich is a very gifted offensive player. He's very smart. And, you know, not, not just that uh, ability on the ice, but also somebody that can you know, play with a Vladimir Tarasenko that can bring out a little bit more in Vladimir Tarasenko. You know, that can also be a, a, a real significant factor in the acquisition of Buznevich. And 
uh, a rejuvenated uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. We're talking to Craig Button here for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Craig, I'm so glad you brought up Buchnevich. That's the guy that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, yesterday, we talked with Mike Rupp, and he said he, he still thinks there's some untapped potential there with Buchnevich and what he can do with the Blues. He's 26 years old. He's already had some big-time seasons with the Rangers. What do you think about that addition and what he can potentially bring to the Blues' top six? I really like Pavel Buchnevich, and so I, I agree with Mike Rupp. You know, greater opportunity uh, to, to contribute. You know, in New York, it seemed that, like, you know, whenever Pavel was pushing forward, somebody wanted to put the reins on him, Whether the, and, and, and again, somebody, that's coaches, and, and I never understood it because I, I do think he's a very good player and a very gifted player, and I, I think when you look, at the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, we talked about the, the blue line and the defense group, but this forward group, I mean, you, you have Braden Shannon, you have Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron had a fantastic season last year. Jordan Cairo is emerging. Robert Thomas, who remains unsigned, you know, is a good player. And now you start to add Brandon Saad, you add Pavel Busnevich. It takes some of the pressure. It spreads out, uh, you know, the responsibilities and, and gets a little bit more, of, uh, of an evenness throughout your lineup where players aren't scaled up too high in the lineup, aren't asked to do more than they're capable of. You know, if Oscar, Oscar Sundquist coming back healthy, you know, Ivan Barbashev coming back healthy. I mean, to me, I look at this forward group, I really like it. I, I, I like the way they're shaped. I like the way they skate. I like their skill. I like the way they can play different roles. And I think Pavel Busnevich is, a, is an excellent addition uh, to the St. Louis Blues. Craig, final one from me, talking about the forward group. We've talked about the defensive group. If you look at this Blues team on paper as is right now, if this is the group that goes into training camp and starts the season, do you have a feeling that this team could compete for a Stanley Cup? No. And I, I, the reason I say that isn't because of their forward group, isn't because of the goaltending, isn't because of their top three defense. It's the defense 4-7, to 4-8. to eight. And I think that you know, to look at this team now and say they're uh, a serious Stanley Cup contender, I can't do that. But what I can say is, is that when you look at, uh, you know, the strength of the team and, and, and the core strength of this team, one of two things I think are, 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 can happen to push this team into a Stanley Cup contending uh, situation. That is the emergence of other players on the blue line to do more and, and to really step forward and or, Doug Armstrong understanding, okay, this is where we're at, and this is where opportunities to improve our blue line are going to come from. And I think uh, unless the, the, the players that really haven't shown the uh, ability to step up and be real significant contributors in the four or five role and, you, you know, the depth of it, you know, I think that there's question marks. But, you know, I think Doug Armstrong knows that as well as anybody, and I think that it gives him a chance to evaluate and – but I think it's a team that, uh, you know, with an opportunity to add a defenseman or two at some point in time, and that might be from within. I don't see it. I think there's going to have to be outside addition, but I could be wrong. But at this point in time, unless that blue line takes a step forward and takes a step up in terms of, uh, like I said, four, five, six, seven, even the depth, eight, 
it's not a Stanley Cup contender at this point in time. Craig, last thing. we got about 30 seconds left here. If they added, and the, both of these have been rumored, at least here in St. Louis, and you know how that goes. Who knows how much truth there is to it? But if they added a Zdeno Chara or Scott Mayfield, is that the kind of addition that you think they're missing? No, I, I don't think Zdeno Chara is... Uh, is a guy that uh, comes in and, and, and contributes. Uh, he, he's 44 years old. We know that Zidane's a Hall of Famer. You know, last year, we're playing for Washington. I mean, he, he was a bottom pair defenseman. He really struggled and, and you know, really became a player that uh, had real challenges. And when he got pushed, they, you know, he wasn't able to perform at the same level. I mean, we all know what his pedigree is. We all know what his resume says. I don't see it. Uh, Scott Mayfield? Real solid defenseman, big, strong, right shot defenseman, can, can can defend, can jump into the attack. And when you look at Scott Mayfield's contract, just his contract mm-hmm. alone, alongside his abilities, I mean that's a that, that that's a real valuable player. So if, if the opportunity to acquire Scott Mayfield came about, I'd be all over it if I was in the in the seat of Doug Armstrong. Craig, you're the best. We always appreciate having you on, man. One of the best hockey minds in the country for my money. He's a hockey analyst over at TSN. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Button. Thanks for the time today, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon as the hockey season gets closer. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always my pleasure to join you. Thanks so much, Craig. Craig Button joining us here on 101 ESPN. So much. So much to get into there. Uh, Let's go ahead and react to that on the other side. You want to do that? Yeah, please. I thought his his impression on the Vladimir Tarasenko situation is, I think, spot on with what Army is thinking right now. I also think this team is going through a little bit of a transition period in their identity. And I think that's a really important thing to hone in on. We'll talk about that, the Vladdy situation, and what he just had to say there at the end about Scott Mayfield. All coming up on 101 ESPN. More St. Louis Sports Talk with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But we want to react to a little bit of what Craig Button had to say in the last segment. Craig Button's a former NHL general manager. He's one of the brightest hockey analysts in the business. He does fantastic work for TSN. And he just told Alex Ferrario when he asked, hey, are the Blues a legitimate Stanley Cup contender right now? Craig Button was open and honest. He said, no, I don't view them as being such. And the reason why is because of their defensive core said if they added a guy like Zdeno Chara, for his mind, not enough. They they need more than that because he doesn't believe that Zdeno Chara adds the same element that he once did at 44 years old now. He loves the idea of Scott Mayfield as an addition for the Blues. Now, Scott Mayfield is a young player. He's, what, 28 years old right now, and the way that the Blues would acquire him is likely in a trade for Vladimir Tarasenko. So I don't think you're getting Scott Mayfield at the beginning of the year. But maybe midseason, that could be something that you're still looking at. The other thing, Alex, that I thought he said that was very interesting to me, and it goes along with that point, he loves the Blues top six. He loves their forward groups in general right now. Tell me if you disagree with this. I was thinking about it a little bit last night. I disagree with this. Me too. I think the Blues are in a little bit of a transition period right now in their identity. I think if the Blues are at their peak performance in 2021, it is going to be because they are a top five offensive team in the league. I do not believe that the goal prevention, the goal suppression style 
is going to be their go-to this year. They're going to have to be a four goals plus per game type of a team for this team to be a legit Stanley Cup contender. Now, that is a complete uh, detour from where they were in 2019. It's very different stylistically, and I don't think this is a result of teams like Colorado or um, Tampa Bay or anything like that. I don't think they're chasing anybody I think it was just the reality of the way that they had to construct the roster once they lost a guy like Petrangelo and they started looking at, okay, what do we have and how do we get to our peak quickest? Adding guys like Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich and being a high-scoring team I think was the quickest route to get there. And I believe that was the mindset for uh, for Doug Armstrong in this offseason, especially now that you still have Vladimir Tarasenko on the team. Okay, a couple of things. First, this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I agree 100% with, with Craig Button's thoughts on this team not being a cup contender right now. Uh, and I do think the defense is why, because you don't have a number four defenseman. You don't have a guy with Justin Falk. And I know Tori Krug might be there, but you don't got a guy with Colton Pareko. And I'm with him. I don't think Zdeno Chara sets them over the top. Does it make them a playoff team? I think it absolutely guarantees they're in the playoffs with Zdeno Chara. But it doesn't mean you can compete with Tampa Bay, Colorado, the teams that are favorites to win the cup. Now, with that being said, you're spot on with that, BK. And remember what Doug Armstrong said in the exit interviews at the end of the season with the media. He said, myself, the leadership, and the coaching staff all have to come to an agreement this offseason of what our identity needs to be. And it does have to be the goals because you don't have a team to suppress offense. Like Mike Kelly, who does an incredible job on NHL Network, uh, statistical analytics on the hockey side, He did a piece last week talking about how goal suppression is why Tampa won the cup the last two years. If you look at what they do in terms of teams entering the offensive zone, they rarely allow teams to get in and start offense. That's what you need to be if you want to be Tampa. Now, Tampa also has elite goal scoring with Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos. They're an anomaly. But if you want to be a team that competes for the cup, you got to be a team like Colorado, a team like Vegas, a team like Florida, a team like Toronto. Yeah, you got defense, but the offense comes from both the defense and the offensive side of your game. And if you look at the Blues, it's not outlandish to say that they can do that. Last year, they finished the season 13th in terms of goals per game. I think it was like 2.98 if yep. I'm looking at it correctly. Here are teams that are ahead of them. The Winnipeg Jets, the Hurricanes, the Wild, the Lightning, the Oilers, the Leafs, the Capitals, Panthers, Knights, Penguins, Avalanche. But you got two players from other teams that help you gain ground in terms of goals per game. You got Buchnevich who scored 20 goals or 25 goals last year. You got Brandon Saad who has been a former 30 goal scorer. And you are also getting another healthy year from Perron and um, Kairou and O'Reilly and Shen. You have Tarasenko. You're bringing back Oscar Sundquist. That's how you're going to compete in the playoffs. Are you a cup contender? By no means. I think when when you look at teams like Colorado and Vegas, can you get to that point? I think so, but what you're saying is right. You need to average like a half a goal per game more so you can be top three. You got to be closer to that 3.4 goals per games that you see teams like the the Panthers, the Capitals, the Knights. You got to be up in that range for this team to be a Stanley Cup contender, in my opinion. Because you still got a good goalie that we all believe in with Jordan Biddington. You have some pieces on the defensive core. You're You're missing one maybe two more guys, depending on how the young players develop this season. And this is, it reminds me of what John Mosaylock typically says going into any given baseball season, right around the time when they get to the 26 man roster. He always tells the media something to the degree of, 
hey, just a reminder, what we start with is not necessarily what we're going to finish with. Now, with the Cardinals, it basically is. They, they pretty much finish with what they start with, even though they say that at the beginning of the year. The Blues have to go about this a little differently. This really should be a season where what they start with is not what they finish with. They should make significant additions to this team throughout the season, whether they, that be at the trade deadline or similar to the Justin Falk trade pretty early on in the season. And we all know where that comes from. It's the Vladimir Tarasenko trade that is impending. We don't know if that's tomorrow, next week, or three months from now, but that's going to happen at some time. And when it does, I think the the nice part about this, Alex, and this is something that I might not get, have given enough credence to, the Blues are going to be able to find out what their deficiencies are while watching and waiting for this Vladimir Tarasenko trade. So you could get into October, early November, and you find out, okay, we're missing a second pairing defenseman, and we'd really like to have a third line left winger. Well, guess what? Now you know exactly what you should try to acquire in that Vladimir Tarasenko trade. Maybe it is only the second pairing defenseman that you're able to get. And then you go sign Tyler Bozak with the money that you're able to save from Tarasenko being dealt. So that is one of the the benefits to waiting on this as well. Yeah, well, and that's the other benefit, too, because you're going to let other teams see what their team looks like. Because if you go into the training camps and Tarasenko's a part of this and Tarasenko looks good in the preseason games because you play eight preseason games before the season starts, other teams might look at their preseason and say, you know what, we need more goal scoring. And Vladdy's tearing it up right now. That's the opportunity that I think Doug Armstrong is hoping for, that another team sees Vladdy's performance and says, ah, you know what, we need to get this guy. And I want to address a text message we just got on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. It says, hey guys, in case you're not paying attention, the Islanders signed a whole bunch of players and there's no possible way that they would have any space for Tarasenko. Stop talking about Mayfield. There's always a possible way to get more cap space. And Islanders, I think they still have around like $2 million in cap space available. You either can accept more money coming back the other way in terms of contracts that you take on. You might be able to address your defenseman and your left wing on the third line. But the other thing that people are forgetting is you can always include other teams that will take on cap space. That's what I was about to say. Remember, if, you, if they wanted to, they could just include a third team. Look at and- what Tampa did at the trade deadline this last year, BK. I mean, they traded for... David Savard, the defenseman from the Columbus Blue Jackets, they couldn't take on that entire cap, so they included another team that accepted some of that money. Lo and behold, they win a Stanley Cup. There's always a way to make it work. I just think that's why it's taking a lot of time to figure this out. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, what's been the biggest surprise individually this year, individual player-wise, from this Cardinal season? I think there's three potential answers to this, and all three were huge pieces to the Cardinals' win last night. We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner is getting out of town right after this show. I'm pretty sure he's already checked out with a margarita in hand. He was yeah. checked out on Monday. No he had, he's had six truly since the start of the show. 
He's working on his third margarita now. Hey, man, step your game up. Truly's aren't the seltzer to go to. Come on, man. Life is feeling Bud Light good. seltzer. That's the way to go. I was impressed. I don't think Alex had a single uh, seltzer while we were in Memphis. I didn't. I, uh, I had my usual whiskey and Coke, and then I pounded some brewskis. I, I was very impressed with that. Zero seltzers for our guy, Look, if Alex that's what Ferrario. you were impressed by and not the fact that I stayed up till like 1230 with you guys, which, let's be honest, that's four hours past my bedtime these days. By the way, no dancing out of this guy. There was zero dancing that took place from, from one Alex Ferrario hey at BB Kings. Hey, man, I saved my moves for the wedding. For the wedding. Okay, that's fair. So, but get ready. Tanner is getting ready to go to Vegas this weekend. We're all very excited for him. Um, Tanner, you had a question that we could throw into the junk drawer right now about your travel plans to Vegas. This is a very important question, and maybe we need a little bit better music. We told you, you know T-Bone, Rhino. We, you know T-Bone needs his music. Oh, yeah. Viva Las Vegas. Viva La Viagra. Isn't that what it's called? Viva Viagra. Isn't that the that's now, a commercial, now right? Okay, first of all, how do you know about Viagra commercials, BK? Do we need to have a seen them on television? Yeah, whole okay. good. Yeah, sure. He's one of those guys that writes the number on the back of a coaster and is like, what? <laughs> Kara's like, what are you doing? <laughs> nothing! 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 Just pass but, it to the server. So my question is, so we're flying out to Vegas. We take off tomorrow. I think our flight's at about 11 o'clock, so sorry, boys, won't be listening. Sorry. Uh, so sorry, we're flying, we don't listen to you when you're on flying, the show. Uh, that's true. That is actually true. We're flying out tomorrow, and guys, it's about a four-hour flight out to Vegas. This is going to be my first ever flight, so what should I be expecting? And just note, I am terrified of heights, so I, the there might be a little bit of a panic attack. What are you flying? What what airline? Southwest. Do you know? Oh god, okay. that's the one that he BKO'd. That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm not doing. I'm not flying this time though. He's fine. Yeah, but BK thinks Tanner that hasn't the seen flight. a Cardinals victory though in person. He's been to like no, twelve I games am, this year. I am literally zero and six on the year. <laughs> Man, I went. I'm one for one. Damn. So I think Tanner actually might be the real jinx here. Amen so, to that. Uh, number one. Number one suggestion: always go with the exit row. Always sit in the exit row if you've got a chance exit to do so. Row. Always okay. go with the uh, the emergency. Um, the you know what I'm talking about the row next to the emergency door. The exit row. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? Oh, is that what that is? I'm so <laughs> I'm so confused for you a know minute. I can't even make the the, the uh, argument that I wasn't listening to you, BK, because I literally was staring at you as you were talking. I just didn't understand what you were saying. Okay, so yeah, the the emergency That's exit two for row. two. Definitely sit there. A little extra leg room, always a good thing. Are you mature enough to handle that door though? If something goes south, no. Sure. They're they're gonna ask you if you're old enough. Th- guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> guaranteed. They are. They're gonna get on and they're gonna be like. Um, uh, sir, you, you have to be 18 yeah. to sit here. And you're going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm 21. And they are not I'm going to blow you. Even better, 22. No, you're not. Really? Um, no, I'm not. So that that is one thing. See, the I, don't, sec- I don't know if heights are that much of an... I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like heights either. I don't like taking off and landing. But I'm, see, planes have, have never bothered me anxiety. in terms of like heights. Because I even no. I'll sit by the window seat and I'm not too concerned. So I don't know how much that's going to bug you, T-Bone. It's just the taking off and the landing that's rough. Uh, chew some gum. That'll help with yeah. the ears. Drink uh, some yeah, alcohol. A, a lot of alcohol. They don't, they don't have it on the planes that. right now. Drink a lot of alcohol before, before. you get on there the flight. All right. So Hit drink that airport hey, chilies, always, baby. Hey, always a fan of drinking at 8 in the morning. Let's what time it. are you leaving tomorrow? Uh, flight's at, I think, 11. Oh, my God. Have you checked in? 
if I checked in. Oh, yeah, you should have checked in. Well, no, so, so I don't have the ticket. He's not in charge of it. He's not in charge of it. That's why. That's why we checked in. T-Bone, are you sure you're old enough to sit in that emergency room? I'm not even sure if I'm old enough I don't know the answer to this question, but you should probably ask if they have booster seats. Freaking. I can't speak to it, but hey, hey, that was a good one. BK. It might be worth asking. <laughs> that was a good one. I also don't know if this is part of the COVID restrictions or not, but a, a nap and or nap, a blanket and a pillow always a good thing to have for Make anybody sure under the age of sixteen. Sitting next to an adult because they have to put your face mask on if things go south. Yeah, first. they have to put theirs on first, though, and then forget. it goes to the child. So you'll be second. No, that wasn't the drum. That was actually, I'm, I'm being 100% oh. honest there. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Take it or leave it. Tanner comes back married to a hooker. Oh, take it. <laughs> oh, my God. PK, what if he comes back from Vegas and he says, boys, I got a date to your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Went to Spearmint Rhino. Everything went really well. Guys, it costed me like $500, but hey. Over under 350 that he spends at Spearmint. Uh, no, T-Bone looks like a guy that they'll offer it and be like, no, nah, I'd rather sit and watch the football game. Nah, he's definitely not going well, Sunday during the, the game. Yeah, I got a sports book on Sunday. Oh, We're they're they're no, going to have very good food there. Uh, they have football Always a good on buffet. Spe- hey, they have football on at Spearman Rhino. Oh, they know nice. their clientele, man. Yeah. What they do you, they have it's usually football Sundays. I'm excited. Uh, 65780, by the way, if you have any recommendations for Tanner, it's his first time ever going to Las Vegas. He just turned 21 last week. Um, if if you've got recommendations for Tanner for his Vegas trip, go ahead and send those in to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. T-Bone, bring mini, shot po- or mini pocket shots on the plane. Those little bottles of shots. I, I think those. that's frowned upon. Yeah. Okay, but they're not going to check your bag. That's what fair. do you mean? Yeah, they are. No, they don't. They're, Is that what TSA's they're less, for? They're less than four ounces. You, you, you can, can f- bring them on. I just think it's probably fit it different. in other parts to to where they wouldn't know that you have it there. Coming up what in 15 happened? minutes or so, today was a big day for David Backus. Signed a one-day contract to officially retire with the Blues. And when you look back on his career here in St. Louis, he really was. His captaincy really was the start of what became the Blues Cup run. So we'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, I want to hear from you guys. The Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What's been the biggest individual surprise for this Cardinal season? If there's one player that surprised you the most, who is it? We'll tell you ours here from yours coming up next on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling. The 2-2 pitch, swung on and missed. Another breaking ball slowly to the plate. Couldn't hold up. First strikeout for old Uncle Charlie. What a ton of runs. And that's up the middle. Base hit. Sosa comes through with a two-out RBI single to bring in Yachty. 3-2 hit a ton. Into deep left. Did he get enough? At the wall. He did. Into the Dodger bullpen. Tyler O'Neill. Number 24. So the question of the day, Bally Sports Midwest uh, is where that audio came from, by the way. Who's been the biggest individual surprise of this Cardinal season? So we're talking about individual players, not like hey, the team stinks and that's the biggest surprise. No, not that. Not that. Individually speaking, who's the biggest surprise on the season for you? Alex, I think there's three options for me. 
I think the options are Noel uh, Roel Ramirez. Nope, that I was still not surprising. don't even know the guy's first name. That's on you. Uh, I think the options are Tyler O'Neill, who's been awesome, basically start to finish this season, and Mundo Sosa, who has elevated himself to being the legitimate starting shortstop for this team at this point. Went from so-so to so freaking it's good. True. Absolutely. And Adam bad, Wainwright is the I third one that I think is is fair to say you've yeah. been surprised by this level of success from him. For you guys, who would you say out of those three, or if you have somebody else that you think deserves to be in this conversation, who's been the biggest surprise for you so far this Cardinal season? Look, it's so hard to pick anybody other than Adam Wainwright because what he has done is just ridiculous. Like People expected him to be good, but in no way, shape, or form did anybody expect Waino to get Cy Young votes. So that's the obvious choice for me. But I really would like to defend the Canadian Hulkster, Tyler O'Neill. Please. I mean, he should be a 1B in this conversation. I saw Ben Hockman put this out last night after his game. He did an 875 OPS, which if you're keeping track at home, I, I think that's better than Pete Alonzo. And, mm-hmm. and we all know Pete Alonzo is an incredible player for the New York Mets. Guys, I think we all were hoping Tyler O'Neill was going to take that next step and solidify himself as an everyday player. He's jumped over the, okay, is he an everyday player to this guy might be a centerpiece into the middle of our batting order. Now, is he consistent? No, but I hope that this is a step towards consistency. So Wayno's the obvious pick for me, but I got to go right behind him as Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill is turning himself into a guy that should be in the conversation with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. I actually would disagree with one thing that you said there that he's not been consistent. I would say he ha- that's been the most surprising thing about him is that even when he's gone through slumps this year, He's been relatively consistent with getting on base and having a high batting average. And that that for me was the biggest surprise because in the years past, he goes through a prolonged three-week stretch where kind of like Matt Carpenter of late, who's got two starts in this series, uh, he doesn't have a hit for three weeks. And this year, even when he's going through some of the power slumps, he's still keeping that batting average right around 275 or 280. I think what I meant by consistency is staying in the lineup health-wise, being the everyday player for 162 games because that's the next step, I think, for Tyler O'Neill. Can he be a 100? And and look, nobody can be 162 games, but can he be close to that for you because he's still kind of treading around the less than 100 game mark? And I am a little encouraged, mentioning with injuries with O'Neill. We haven't seen kind of that fluke in there's been the fluke injuries where it's like he brought i think he broke his finger sliding into a base but it hasn't been so much of well he's got to strain this he's got to strain like that. two years ago where yeah, it was he went on the aisle with a what was it a back issue or did he have a leg issue I can't no it wasn't kind of it, was, it was the, the the hip i pitched the first time wasn't it the hand and then he got the yeah. sliding into the base so i mean it hasn't been those injuries where it's a pulled muscle or he's torn something so that's an encouraging sign for him I, i'm with you 100 alex number one for me is adam wainwright because Though I thought he was really good, or he was really good in 2020, I did not expect him to be that like this year, or be better than what he was in 2020. Because I thought Father Time was going to catch up to him. You got to throw hard to win in baseball today, and he's proven me wrong. You keep hitters off balance, continue to mix in your curveball, and then you dot the fastball because they're looking at the curveball. So he's number one for me, and I'm with you. One B for me is clearly Tyler O'Neill. He's been way more consistent than I ever expected him to be. It's interesting. Uh, I think the answer to this, I'm with you guys, is Adam Wainwright. But we've talked so much about him this year that we can just throw him at number one. We all agree yeah, with that. He's been the biggest it. surprise. I actually think I'm going with my second biggest surprise on the season is going to be Edmundo Sosa. Over Tyler O'Neill, really? And, and here's why. We all knew that Tyler O'Neill had this kind of potential. 
Now, he hadn't realized it at the major league level yet, but you can look at his minor league numbers and be like, yeah, that guy, if if he hits the ceiling, whatever it is, he can be a 35 home run player in any individual year. I'm surprised he did it because after the last game of last season in the postseason, when he was pinch hit for in their last at last out, I thought it was over for him in St. Louis. I didn't think he was going to be back this season. Yeah. So for him to actually realize his potential in the big leagues this year for the Cardinals, that's very surprising for me. But him having the capability of being a big time power guy with a 270 batting average in his best types of seasons, that's not all that surprising to me. And Mundo Sosa being a legit presence in the lineup and being by far your best option right now at shortstop is kind of stunning to me. He's been a net positive at the plate for you. He's been really good defensively for you. And he's a guy that now, I mean, I go into this offseason and I say, Edmundo Sosa has a locked-in spot on the Major League roster next year. He shouldn't start every day. That's not his best spot. But he should get regular at-bats for this team. He's somebody that I feel I feel going into next year the way that I felt about Tommy Edmund coming into this year. And that is a hell of a jump in something that I... I called him Edmundo Soso because I thought best yeah. case scenario, he's a perfectly fine, adequate bench you know, bat. Inappropriate, he's been actually. so much more than that. Inappropriate, BK, to make fun of him. To be fair, he was really outplayed in spring by Jose Rondon, a guy coming in on a minor league deal. I mean, Reminder it didn't look for good. next year, spring training just doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. man, because I get shot down every time I get excited about spring training numbers. You know who it did matter for, though? Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill had a great spring training, and it looked like everything was coming together for him. I, the reason I think it's more surprising with Tyler O'Neill, let's not forget how he started the season. He bad. was really bad. And, and then he got hurt, and he went on the IL. And you it, were thinking, oh, here we go again. Yeah, and then give him a lot of credit because, and he said it, and didn't buy into it until we saw the results of, I probably really needed that. I didn't want to be hurt, but I really needed yeah. that time off so I could mentally reset. And he did, and he just took off from there because that first, it was a month or two, three weeks, I mean, he looked like the normal Tyler O'Neill, striking out, not getting on base, a lot of whiffing at the plate. So for him to make the jump from the way he struggled early in the year and be able to just completely reset when he went on the I.L., that's impressive for me, and I'm with you too with Sosa, by the way. And the only difference between Sosa and why I picked Tyler O'Neill over Sosa is, I mean, Sosa looks good in the permanent spot he has next year, BK. It's not at the shortstop position. Like Tyler O'Neill next year, and I don't know if you guys disagree with me on this, but in my eyes, he permanently is my five-hole hitter. which Five I, or six. Yeah, depending on what you do in the offseason, because if you don't make a move for a big-time bat, he might be hitting in your top four for how important he has been to you, but... Edmundo Sosa is a guy that could be a shortstop. He could be a bench player. Tyler O'Neill is a guy that has to be in your top five every season, every game. If you like OPS plus, and I do, he's been your best hitter so far this year. Tyler O'Neill has. Yep. He's at a 140, which means he's 40% above league average right now. He's the first Cardinal to have an OPS plus of at least 140 since Matt Carpenter when he had 36 home runs in 2018. And he was an MVP in that year. He was awesome. Our candidate. Before that, you got to go back to Tommy Pham, who had the 2020 season back in uh, 2017. And he was, when he was twice. awesome. And I think he finished with a 300, 400, yeah, 300, 400, 500 slash line that year, which is very hard to do in today's modern game. And before that, you got to go back to Matt Holliday, Albert Pujols, Lance Berkman, I mean, you're talking about the best of the best for the Cardinals, and that's the kind of year that Tyler O'Neill's putting together in 2021. What do you guys think of this text? I think this is interesting. From the 501 on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, actually the biggest surprise has to be Schilt. Struggled in a lot of key moments that it cost the team several wins. I thought he could be better. I think that's fair. I do too. 
I, I'm going more positive here. No, I understand that, but like, the text line's always positive. They just have some negative thoughts every once in a while. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's fair to be surprised by the way that Schiltz has handled this season. But you're talking about Disappointed, maybe really. somewhere between the three and five range that could have been wins if it was a different outcome in terms of the manager's decision. That's a wild card spot. Are there any other players that you think on the positive? Let, let's keep let's keep things on the uh, shining up the this I, team. I, okay, the, I, the are there any other players that you think deserve to be on the the plus side of pleasant surprise for the Cardinals this year? I I think that we should give some plus to a large new bar. I mean, this is a guy that we, nobody talked about heading into spring training. I, was he even on the team in spring training? No. I mean, I legitimately have no idea. I think he spent some time with them, but he wasn't. He was yeah. a guy that camp, we were watching. But we weren't him. talking about. And him. now part of that too was because of guys like Justin Williams, Lane Thomas not being able to settle in as these backup options. But give him credit. I mean, he tore it up at AAA. He's come up here. He provided a little bit of a spark. He's in the lineup today. I, I think he deserves a little bit of just a shout out on the honorable mention list. I think one for me is Paul Goldschmidt, too. I was about to Because I think Paul Goldschmidt, and look, I mean, he does the same thing every year, but the problem is I think a lot of people came into this year saying he's past his prime and he's not a superstar anymore. Might not be a superstar anymore, but he's that star range for me, and the second half has proven it as well. We talk Wayno, the reason they are still in this wild card race. Paul Goldschmidt's a part of that conversation as well. Do you think we should give... I, well, first, if I think Luis Garcia and TJ McFarlane should be on this list. They're too. surprises, but I'm thinking more towards like but, the guys that were a full on the season. major league but roster with, on with opening With that day. kind of in mind, I know that we were disappointed in the way that the front office handled the season of, well, when Flaherty went down, they should have made a move. Are you a little surprised at how well they're able to go out and get some pieces that were able to throw strikes and make things better? Because I think Jay Happ deserves some of it. Jay Happ, Luis Garcia, TJ McFarland, Justin Wade Miller LeBlanc. was okay at times. LeBlanc was good. I mean, I think for as much disappointment as there was at the front office, and I agree, didn't act quick enough. Hey, I am positive. Oh, sorry. I don't know how to spin that. <laughs> but I think they do deserve a little bit of a mention here as well for some of the moves that they made. I get it. Cardinals fans wanted to see more. Let's be honest, this team's not, I can't say Jake, it's less negative. about more and more about when, the timing. It, that that was the frustration for me. The, the surprise to me, if we're going negative on it, was that it didn't happen in June. They yeah. should have had a Wade LeBlanc that or took place in, in, in mid-June or Jay Happ. I don't know that he was available in June, but I'm pretty confident he was yeah. available at some point in June if you really wanted him. And if they were willing to give up on John Gant, I think they could have got Jay Happ whenever they wanted him. Right. And they just didn't make that move early enough. And when you look back on the season, it's pretty obvious where things went south for them. They needed to make a move in June. They didn't. They waited too long. And now they're paying They're paying the price for that in the standings. By the way, according to the data, as I was doing a deep dive over here. Oh, you got our, the data? I do. I do. Our best hitter, according to the data, OPS plus, Ollie Sanchez. 305 OPS plus. But what's the WPS plus percentage minus on the field? It's still the best on the team. (laughs) Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll give you our football pick for week two. Last week did not go well for either Tanner or myself. Coming up next, though, we got to react to David Backus. It's it's his final day in the NHL. Decided to retire as a blue. Signed a one-day contract here in St. Louis. Alex is going to reflect on his first time that he ever spent interviewing David Backus and what Backus was able to do as the mentor and the guy that was the leader for this team going into that cup run. We'll talk about it all coming up on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN.
This will start at center ice. This will be an emotional evening for the former captain. To play what's probably my last game in this building uh, in front of these fans in this city is the way I would have written it if I could have written it and uh, got to live it. Very blessed and very appreciative. And tonight's first star, possibly playing in his final National Hockey League game, former Blues captain, David Beckett! It's been a great ride, an amazing ride, and uh, just so blessed to have played this game for 15 years, so thanks to everyone that's been a part of it. Ten years to the day after David Backus was named the captain of the St. Louis Blues, the 20th captain in Blues history, he signs a one-day contract with St. Louis to retire a Blue after his 15-year NHL career has come to an end. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. David Backus has one hell of a legacy here in St. Louis. And the thing that I think stands out to me most about Backus's career and the legacy that he leaves behind, Alex, is that... It's not easy for a lot of guys to be as revered off the ice as they are on the ice. And for a guy like David Backus, I think that's what most Blues fans are going to remember about him is that he was as well known in the community as he was on the ice. And those are the guys here in St. Louis in particular that really that, that this fan base appreciates. So for Backus. It's who he was as a guy as much as it was about who he was as a player. And I know for you, Alex, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. It brings you back as we're talking today about the end of his career to the first time that you got to talk with him in a one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of impactful for me because this was my like first opportunity in the Blues locker room where I had the opportunity to do a one-on-one. And funny story about this, I was so intimidated by these guys because, you know, like you grow up as a fan of these players and then you're covering them. Backus looks like he could bench you. Backus could bench me, actually. But... You know, this was in the middle of a of a playoff run when I went down there, and you know, I didn't have the cojones to walk up to a player and be like, "Hey, can I talk to you for a little bit?" Because they don't know who this twenty one year old kid is. So God bless Jeremy Rutherford because Jr. knew David Backus, and he walked up to to David, and he's like, "Hey, David, this is my buddy Alex Ferrario. You know, he works for Blues Radio, does pre and post. He wants to get a couple minutes with you." And, and, you know, God bless David Backus. Now we say hockey players are so down to earth and wholesome because he sat there with me and talked with me for five or six minutes. But that just goes to show you the kind of individual David was because he was the captain of the Blues at the time in the middle of a playoff run. And he finds time to sit down and talk with somebody who's covering the team. So uh, an amazing individual. Um, and, and honestly, this was the way it was supposed to go. And if you missed his uh, his piece that he wrote, kind of his retirement speech, uh, it's on the Blues website. And I, I really advise you to go re- read it because because it, it was really impactful. Like I got goosebumps reading it because, you know, he was an engineer major in college. That's the career he was going. But of course he gets selected in 2003 and he talks about numbers. And unfortunately he missed the 1000 mark that he wanted to get to in the NHL, which is frustrating because he was 35 games away. But, you know, God bless this guy for what he was able to do for a guy that had no ties to a hockey. He was awesome. And he was a hell of a player, a hell of a person, a hell of an individual And he was, at the beginning of his career, a part of the transition for the Blues that we know today, right? They were transitioning from the Joel Quinville era and all of the success that they had had under Q to, I mean, he played for four different coaches in Mm -hmm. his time here in St. Louis. The year before he arrived with the Blues, they were 21 and 46 and picked number one overall in the draft. I mean, they were terrible. It was not a good hockey team that he arrived to play for, and he helped to change that culture. 
and he talked about this. I believe this was right around the time when he came back last time around. Here's what he had to say on what he's most proud of, of the the team that he started with compared to the team that he ended with here in St. Louis. 06, um, making it to the conference final and getting over that second round that was seemed to be a barrier for us um really put some great foundations for years to come and and sort of a, a culture and what we were building here from when i got here as a young kid and um you know we were drafting first overall getting eric johnson and not winning many games to uh when i left and it was in a better place i feel i think if we could all live our lives with one thing in mind that the thing that at least for me not to get too like sappy about it but you always want to leave whatever you do in a better place than where it was when you got there right for for this radio show if we were to get let go i i'm of the opinion we've left the midday show in a better place than when we got it and that's not a shot at anybody else but i think that we've done a good job of cultivating an audience here and i i like to believe that we've done a decent job with it and i'm not trying to compare us to david backus by any stretch but just in our lives everybody should have that kind of a mindset and david backus there is no question that he left the Blues in a much better situation with that dressing room, with the culture that was implemented under him, under his leadership. He left the Blues in a position where they were going to go on and have success. And it's in part, they ended up going on to win the Stanley Cup in part because those guys played with David Backus. 100%. I texted you earlier today when this announcement was made, and I said David Backus was the starting point for the Blues winning a Stanley Cup. And I, to this day, believe that. You know, you had the 04 lockout in the NHL, which, you know, that was kind of the middle period of the Blues, like really rock bottom, because, of course, when they traded away Chris Pronger, that was rock bottom for this team. But they had missed the playoffs, I think, four of six or four of five years. They made it the one year and that one year was David's third year in the NHL. But if you go back and look at that 06, 07 Blues roster, BK and T-Bone, you had Keith Kachuk, Dallas Drake. Um, Barrett Jackman was still a part of that team. Hey, superstar NHL defenseman Jamie Rivers was a part Brad of that boys. team. Brad Boys. You were in the middle of this kind of murky period of the Blues where like, you had the veterans that you really still wanted to compete with. Doug Wade had just won a Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes and came back to the Blues. But then you also drafted TJ Oshie and David Perron and Patrick Berglund and you drafted this guy in the second round in the 2003 draft and you're wondering okay, is he going to be impactful I don't really know here. This was the Larry Plough, Dave Jackets, John Davidson era. Fast forward to 2008, 2009, they make the playoffs for the first time. And David Backus, that's the year he scores 31 goals for them. But then you start to get into it. That was Perron's first year. You know, Keith Kachuk retires. Jackman goes as a free agent. They bring in a Yaroslav Halak. They bring in Alexander Steen, Carlo Koliakovo. Then they start making the playoffs. They go on another track that was very close to what Joel Quinville had accomplished with the Blues in terms of consistency and the playoffs. You get over that plateau in the 15-16 season of beating the Chicago Blackhawks and then getting to the conference final and unfortunately losing to the San Jose Sharks. And then the Blues move on from David. Because they felt like he left the team, to your point, in a great spot. Petrangelo was ready to be the captain. They had Vladimir Tarasenko and Perron. They had players that were ready to take the next step for this team. Lo and behold, three years later, they go on to win a Stanley Cup. So you may think that I'm going butterfly effect theory here of one thing leading to another. I might be crazy. This might be tinfoil theory. But David Backus 
was the start of a Stanley Cup championship transition for the Blues. Because if they don't draft this guy, he doesn't set the culture that carries over from Keith Kachuk and Dallas Drake and Barrett Jackman to the culture that is here now with David Perron and Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly. I'll just always remember when David Backus was the captain, you would hear stories about how he'd take guys out for dinner if there was something that needed to be hashed out, right? If there was there was a conversation that needed to be had. He was not uncomfortable having those conversations. And it wasn't something that he was demeaning another player. He was talking down to them, anything like that. But he'd go out and grab some, grab some food, grab a beer, grab whatever. And they would talk through it and they'd figure out what was going on on the ice. And they'd find a way to find a solution. And I think that's something that Alex Petrangelo also took with him. And Petro and the guys would go out, grab a glass of wine, hang out and try to talk things over, figure out what was wrong, what what could be done better. And that's just it's a little thing, but it becomes a big thing. And when you have that kind of leadership that you're learning under uh, guys like Alex Petrangelo became better captains, better leaders because of it. And without those leaders in that locker room, Alex Dean, all those guys being around one another, you don't win your cup in 2019 and you certainly don't come back from being the worst team in hockey in late December to then go on to win a cup. So yeah. it, it, he he deserves all of his flowers today. A huge congratulations on an incredible career uh, for David Backus. And I'm glad that it ended the right way with yeah. him signing a one day contract here in St. Louis. It's so crazy, too, because the Blues have always had that culture, and it goes back to 1967 with Bobby Plager and Barkley Plager. But, like, it started there. You transitioned that into the Bernie Federko era and Brian Sutter era. That carried over into the Brett Hall and Al McKennis, then to the Chris Pronger, the Keith Kachuk, the David Backus, the Alex Petrangelo, and now you're in the Ryan O'Reilly era. You got to have those guys that stay placed. And David put it in his piece on the Blues website. Like, it's it's the reason he was the captain he was for the blues and the culture that was in place for him was because he was able to play with Keith Kachuk and Dallas Drake. And I think it was important that guys like David Perron and Alex Petrangelo were able to play with David Backus. And frankly, it's super important that guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo were able to play guys like Alex Petrangelo because that culture continues with this Blues team and that's what has kept them successful for over 50 years. Speaking of culture, Jamie Rivers promotes one hell of a culture here at 101 ESPN and this weekend they're roasting him. This Saturday night it take play, takes place at St. Louis Music Park at Centene Community Ice Center. Stand-up comedian Ian Bag will headline a group of celebrity roasters as they hurl insults at our guy Jamie Rivers. You must be 21 or older because of course, of course to attend do. the tickets that are on sale now. Get all the details for the roast of Jamie Rivers now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll cross things over with the guys from the fast lane. But coming up next, week one did not go particularly well for Tanner or me with a football pick em. Went great try for to, me. Try to turn that around next on 101 ESPN. Back to BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Football pickup did not go well for Tanner or myself last week. We were both one and two on the week. Let me ask you both. Did you guys have the time of your life? I did. I did yesterday. I am oh disappointed hey. that BK wouldn't pick me up and I could do the full So we were, we were driving down to Bush last night and my dad and my cousin went to the game with my wife and I. And they were like, well, we didn't get to hear it yesterday because we were at work. And I said, don't worry, I played it on the podcast. I don't know if I've seen my dad in tears before laughing, but I had that yesterday listening to YouTube. When T-Bone tried to start with a female voice, he lost it. I'm not sure what was better. Your version that you posted on Twitter 
at Ferrario 101 ESPN or the version that people heard over the air because your version did not have the background music. No, but it also it had the eye contact that it had the eye contact that BK had pointing at Tanner when he was singing. So that one was great. But with the background music, it sounds much better. (laughs) It sounds much better with the background music, especially at the main course when you actually hear them a little bit in the background, too. So that was our punishment last week. If you've got suggestions for this week's punishment, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We might go back to the song. We'll see. We'll see what we've got for next week. But right now it is time for the draft. We've got nine games to pick from for this week. Same as last week. Alex, you won, so you get to choose. Would you like the first, second, or third pick? I'm going to go second pick here, boys. Second pick for Alex. Tanner, would you like to come first or third? Would you like to select? Hey, uh, first I always or third. come third, dude. Always. <laughs> I think I'll come third. There we go. Oh, okay. Hey, I'm going to be selecting first. I'm going to be selecting first in this one. It's good. All right. So, my first pick that I am going to take in this week's draft. Family Chiefs and Browns. It is not. I'm going to take the Packers minus the four points against the New Orleans I Saints. Freaking taken the first pick neutral site field and no Michael Thomas for the Saints they just traded for a cornerback that can't help them in week one because he's suspended in week one I'm gonna take the Packers minus the four points against the Saints what's right. surprising is the fact that I actually kind of like my Saints in this one oh, well I, okay that's why you would have lost again all right I'm going college football then with the second overall pick here boys I'm taking number 15 Texas minus seven at Arkansas Ooh, boy turn your head like that all you want but we all saw Texas putting the hurting on this first week I'm not sold on Arkansas and I think seven I think they should be able to cover that so I'm going to take Texas minus seven over the Razorbacks I like it I'm going to jump us back to the NFL Guys, give me the Bucks tonight. Minus eight and a half. They're taking on the Cowboys. You know what the Cowboys are allergic to? This thing called defense. And it's kind of important in the National Football League. They may give up about 45 tonight. Dak's going to have to throw it. But please, I think Tampa Bay is going to cover. Give me Tampa Bay minus eight and a half. Now, let's see. I get a second pick. Mm-hmm. Why don't we stick with the NFL? This Cardinals-Titans one I'm a little concerned about. I'm not high on the Arizona Cardinals. Give me the Tennessee Titans. Minus three. The Cardinals have to travel. They have to jump two time zones for this first game. Or maybe one. I'm not quite sure. But I'm not high on the Cardinals either way. Give me the Titans. Minus three points. Well, I better take the last NFL game and keep the college football with everyone else. So I'm going to take. I know. I'm taking the Chiefs minus six at the Browns. I know they're on the road. We were talking this during a, a commercial break. Chiefs always show up offensively in week one of the season. And I know the Browns have a awesome defense this year. But how do you go against Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill to start the season off? So I think the Chiefs will be able to cover that minus six. So that's who I'm going with for my second pick. All right, I'm coming up next. And then it is Tanner because we're going to flip this bad boy back around once again with the snake draft. I think I am going to go. Ooh, this is tough. College football this week. I, I, I really think they nailed the lines on these. So we've got the Ohio State game, Iowa versus Iowa State, Mizzou at Kentucky and Illinois at Virginia are the games that are remaining on our slate for the weekend. I'm Please nervous stop doing here. that with your hips. I think. I think I'm going to take Iowa State minus the four and a half at home against Iowa. That sounds Picking like a against loss. Iowa last week did not go well for me. Going back to the well, I'm going to take Iowa State minus the four and a half at home. Did you, you learn your lesson? You guys know I love me some Brees Hall. I'm taking Iowa State. I think they come first or second. Uh, I think they will win this game. Okay. 
All right, T-Bone. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Oh, take Mizzou. Do it again. I can't believe I'm going to do this because this kind of stings. Give me Virginia minus 10. I, I expect another disappointing game from the Illini. Oh. I, I I kind of have this gut feeling that says they might bounce back, but I've had that gut feeling for a long time with Illini football. So until I'm proven wrong, give me Virginia at home against the Illini minus 10 points. All right. Well, I'm going with the last one. Mr. Irrelevant here. Well, there's oh. one more pick, but it's fine. I was no. gonna say I thought I have two. Ga- I have two games left. What happened here? No, you, you've got your you three. Got, you got your three. No, no, no I'm saying oh, I, yeah. I still I've see two games pick, on the draft it's, board. It's you first. Well, we don't care about you, BK. That's fair. Uh, I agree. Just BK. I'm taking Kentucky minus five. Are you? Yeah, I just okay. don't, I don't think Mizzou will keep it that close against that Kentucky offense. I think Kentucky wins this by a touchdown, maybe more. So I'm going to go with Kentucky minus five. And the last game that remains is Ohio State at home against Oregon. And I think I'm going to take the Buckeyes in this one. Uh, Oregon, a lot. Oregon did not look good last week. I was not impressed with what I saw from them. I, to be fair, neither did Ohio State. Ohio State was not particularly impressive in the early portion of that game. But Oregon just, they looks completely out of sorts against Fresno State. If you're going to look like that at home against Fresno State, I'm not picking you to cover any spread against Ohio State. It's minus 14 and a half. It is a big spread, but Ohio State's at home. It's an early kick. Oregon's basically playing at 9 a.m. their time. I I think this is a good one for the Buckeyes, so I'm going to take Ohio State minus the 14 and a half. To recap, I have the Packers minus four, the Iowa State minus four and a half, and Ohio State minus 14 and a half. Hate that I've got all the favorites. Wow. (laughs) We all selected favorites this week. This is going to go poorly. Not a fan. Alex has Texas. He has the Chiefs minus the six points, and he has Kentucky minus five. And then Tanner has the Bucks, the Titans, and Virginia Ooh, against his spread. Wow, we mine. really did go all favorites well, there. 100%. To be fair, on my draft board oh. here, I did have some that were going to be against the spread. They were just taken before I, I did could too. get to them. I, I was, was gonna, comfortable taking them. I was going to take the Saints against it. Same. But you, you took it before me there. I was going to take the Browns against the Chiefs, plus six. Nah, see, I feel pretty confident with that I liked that all the favorites in the NFL. I think I would have leaned. Would you have gone Arkansas instead of Texas? Because you kind I would of have gone Arkansas. You kind of uh, scoffed at that. I also went against Texas last week too, though. So in that, that yeah, didn't go I particularly just, yeah. well. Texas surprised me. So we haven't really gotten as many texts on the punishment. So send over your thoughts on the punishment for week two. Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero because we got a top karaoke. And I don't know how we can top karaoke because frankly, boys. That was punishment for me. Oh, we're just do karaoke again. It's the final week to enter. The fast lane's heading to Chicago oh, in just woof. a few weeks for a special road trip to Wrigleyville. You could potentially win your way in on the fun, courtesy of Walter Knoll Florist. Visit any of Walter Knoll's four area locations now through this Sunday. All you have to do to enter, find the QR code in studio, and that'll enter you to win the free weekend in Chicago. It includes a two-night hotel stay, an invitation to an all-inclusive happy hour party with the fast lane in Chicago, and plenty more. Get all the details to this spe- special Chicago trip giveaway with Walter Knoll and the Fastlane now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up next, we're going to give away a pair of tickets to see Chris Stapleton, and we'll cross things over with the Fastlane here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN.
is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number 101 with the correct answer to this question, you will receive a pair of tickets to see Chris Stapleton next Thursday night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for Chris Stapleton are on sale right now. If you want a bonus chance to win free tickets, go to 101ESPN.com or the 101 mobile app. Here is the question that you need to answer via the text line at 65780. Where is Tanner going this weekend? If you have the answer to that question, you will be a winner in your texture number 101. You're the winner of the pair of tickets to see Chris Stapleton. Jamie Rivers in studio, the former superstar defenseman for the St. Louis Blues, crossing things over. Jamie, what's up, man? Uh, not much, man. It's it's a beautiful day in St. Louis. Tanner, I'm excited for where you're headed on the weekend. Me uh, too. If you need any contact information, let me know. That's about all I'm going to say right now. I appreciate you giving uh, giving Tanner all your Jamie, contacts. Are you like the Frank Sinatra of Vegas? Uh no, 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 God, no, Frank Sinatra, no, no, no. I uh, maybe the Peter Lawford. I've been known to get things from time to time while I'm in Vegas, like Red from Shawshank Redemption. Although not those types of things. Tanner, Tanner, make sure you take some notes down for that then before you go. <laughs> Tanner, just bring a good, strong, healthy multivitamin. Jamie, what do you have coming up today on the fast lane, my man? We've got David Backus coming on the show today. You're going to talk a lot about Spearmint Rhino, um, oh. Las Vegas well, David, trips with uh, Not that David, David has ever been there, no. but I know he knows of it. Um, but no, we're going to have some fun with David Backus. You know, obviously a little serious uh, earlier today with the media and his Zoom call, which we had here on 101 ESPN. And I'm going to get a little more, have a little more fun. I had the opportunity to play with David Backus his rookie season. And so I've known him over the years, and there's a lot of fun things there. And we dive into that and, and kind of go over that stuff. Jamie, were you excited to see the lineup today? Yeah, everybody gets a day off. You know, you just bring orange slices, maybe cookie cake. Whose birthday is it today? Does somebody have something going but on? We had multiple people asking. So is it Paul DeYoung's birthday? Yeah. Is it like a special anniversary oh, no, for him? What's going 27th game in the what, month what? of... I don't know, whatever. Well, didn't you hear him, though? It's not a must-win. Uh, no, no, none of them. No, this, these four games? Nah. I, guys, don't get me started, man. It's been I can't two wait days. to listen today. It's been two days of me just being like in disbelief of <laughs> got the his... manager. Hang on, BK. Yeah, leave it. The manager giving days off when you're in a playoff run, and then the players accepting the day off. God. I'd tell you, I'd say, Shilty, go chase yourself. I'm playing today. I can't imagine a hockey player's mindset when the coach comes in and says, hey, you know what? We're going to give you a night of rest because we're a week away from the playoffs, but it's fine. You know what? Tell me, off. you're a crappy player, and it's actually a healthy scratch i'm trying to sell it to you no i'm good i'll play i'm trying to imagine yadier molina's reaction when he saw for the second time in four days oh i'm not playing against the dodgers well, yeah, the, his instagram pulled up ready to go i don't even understand that i don't understand not a it. must win guys it's just okay if you do win Try. it's not your job thank you it, it's not you're correct although it is my job to have an opinion on the matter um oh. i i am curious oh, he's as right. well he's what, right tanner he's right what went into the decision ratings are showing it Thanks, man. Whoa, uh, shot at me. Whoa, no, ratings no, are good right now. Show, no, it's BK and company, James. <laughs> you know this. Paul DeYoung being in the lineup today is the one that really, I, I'm I just. He was in the lineup two games ago. I'm and just he got a base hit, I think. Edmondo no. Sosa. Guys, listen, Edmondo Sosa, you know, this is first year in the league. He's got to be tired at this point. It's <laughs> been very demanding for a guy to play, I don't even know, what, half the games? Poor guy. Uh, well, he, 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 and he was awesome last night. Yeah, he went all out last night, so you needed a he's night off. off. He gave everything he had. He's tired. Today. It's a quick turnaround, too. It's like 12 hours. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. 
I will never understand. Hopefully they win this game. Tyler O'Neill seems to be carrying them right now, so fingers crossed he that can continues. Do it. You see those muscles? For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, who's going to have an unbelievable yeah, weekend starting right now in Where's Las Vegas. Oh, there it is. He said it. <laughs> I'm Brandon Carly. Fastlane has David back. Is coming up here in just about 30 minutes or so. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500. With available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX. With the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500. Awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards.